check. A one, two, a one, two. What's up, everyone? It's Schmitty, and we got another episode of Talking Schmidt today on the program, Justin Gerard. And since I've been off radar for a minute, I made this one extra lengthy for y'all. Uh, you're going to want to save this for road trip or long flight. Listen in segments, however you want to do it, or just binge the shit out of it, because we got over two hours of Justin and I flapping about the past. I also want to give a big shout out to Mr. Clyde Singleton, who not only started a new podcast periodically called Push and Pee, Push P. Push P. but he decided to include yours truly as his first guest. Push P. Push P. So that was a huge honor. Go look for Push and P under WCRP and skateboarding. You already know that everything Clyde does is going to have Flavor. Man, being sick sucks, and I felt like shit, but I did get to hang with Neckface as he did a whole wall mural next to the Thrasher store last week. Uh, had visits from the gut, Arco, and even Wheatberry, who came by and said he didn't recognize me without my chain wallet. Bipolar as fuck, that guy. Come on, Wheat. I don't think I've ever worn a chain wallet. Somebody's got a photo of me with a chain wallet. I will buy Wheatberry a steak dinner. Talking shit, dude. <laughs> Anyways, the reason everyone was in town was the annual Peastone Invitational at Bob's. We built some new obstacles over there. And then I decided to get fucking COVID or whatever I ended up having. And sadly, I had to miss it this year. I was there. Heartbreak Hotel. The contest edit will be coming from Mr. Matt Bublitz on the Thrasher site soon. So just like y'all, I'm eager to see it. I heard the uh, top three and I'm stoked on that. You know the winner had to win. Come on, Tom. Shout out to the Bones Brigade audio show. For giving us a shout out. Shout out. Glad to know that you guys are listening. And uh, I got to listen more to what you guys are doing over there because it's kind of new to my radar. So thanks to Dan Nazaretta for pointing it out. Ding. Hey, who out there plays Wordle? I don't even answer questions like that. I've been doing it daily. Kind of enjoying it. I just confirmed guest number 200. You're going to have to wait and see. <laughs> That's right, fuckers. Summer's here, the days are longer, and Casey Schmidt is a San Francisco giant. I got the jersey already. Talking Schmidt. Talking Schmidt, dude! <laughs> Newsflash. Our girl is in the dressing room. She'll be right out, and we'll do the raffle after these messages. John Joseph Van Landingham of Southern Georgia, who has been skating since 1986 and blowing glass since 96, his glass is homemade in the USA, and you can find out more info from him on his Instagram or his Facebook. Someday he may even have one of them OG websites to peep. Anyway, I'm super hyped. He reached out to me um, and stoked to get someone who's down for the cause. So with that, John Joseph Van Landingham, keep it going. And like Albino says... Blood wizard. Blood wizard. Blood wizard. Blood wizard. Blood wizard. Shop.bloodwizard.com. Tickety tack. Hey, it's Corey at Blue Plate, 3218 Mission Street. Come see us. 
meatloaf, fried chicken, deviled eggs, Dollar Olympia beers. We're here every day of the week. We got a garden and we got smiles on our faces. Come let us make you happy. Okay, it's finally time for what Jeremy Nuttall, Sean Fulbert, Danny Craig, Dan Nazareta, Judson Cheney, Mathis Bean, Chris Albiston, Alexander Winslow, Jason Dowdney, Dalton Jones, Devin Curran, Adam Baker, and Adam Rizzolo have been waiting for. Thank you, guys. This is fucking fun for me. Cheryl, my lovely wife and assistant, is here to show us the first prize and the grand prize. The friend of the show, the vertical vampire, flip that over the other way so they can see the bottom. That's Darren Navarrete, complete skateboard with indie trucks, slime ball wheels, Bronson bearings, mob grip, the total complete skateboard from Creech. Are you guys ready? It's time for the grand prize winner, the Darren Navarrete Complete Skateboard from the Creech. Cheryl, please get all the names in the hat, get them ready, and I will draw out the winner. That's right, kids. Black and orange SF Giants hat. Pro fit. Ooh. There you go. Okay. Judson Cheney, you have won! <laughs> we'll be sending you the complete skateboard, Judson. Congratulations, man. I don't know if that's going on your wall or under your feet, but as my friend Albino says, We just need to be free and love each other. We got two more prizes, though. Don't go away sad. Just go away. Anyway, the second prize is... The Beer Helmet DVD. Are you out of your mind? Legendary video. Everybody needs to watch it, right? We're giving that away right now for number two, the second prize. Shake those names up. Shake them like they're hot. Don't pull them out, though, people. You. All right. All right. Isn't Cheryl pretty? This is, I'm such a lucky guy. God damn it. Alexander Winslow, you have won the DVD beer helmet. It'll be in the mail tomorrow. Thank you. Honeybee has joined the crew. One final giveaway. This is for the Schmitty Filmer Wheel from OJ Wheels. This is a collector's item. They don't make these anymore. This brand new 55 millimeter Filmer Cruiser Wheel. The good homie, Cranny, he fucking gave Schmitty a wheel. He actually gave me like three or four different wheels. Is that, is that real? Anyway, bros are the days. And next up is up high, up, up. There you up, up. The Gussie B. All right. Dun, dun, look at honey. 
Okay, guys. Pick a winner so I can get back to sleep. And the winner is... Ooh, you might nut all, but your name is Jeremy. Nut all. Congratulations to everyone that played. Thank you. And hopefully we'll do this again. If there's any companies out there that want to do giveaways, Talking Schmidt is your podcast. Talking Schmidt, dude. <laughs> One question for Cheryl before she leaves. When this comes out, it'll be passed. But today, as we record, it is Monday. 3-0 Denver. Do the Lakers get swept or do they win one at home and go back to Denver to lose? Swept. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. I don't think so. Winner, winner, sheen dinner. You heard it here first. But y'all going to get this podcast. Okay, you've waited long enough. Let me pass it on to the one who calls himself average young man on the Instagram. Enjoy the show, guys. Hey, everybody. This is Justin Gerard, formerly now Justin Girardi, and you're listening to Talking Schmidt. Hey, hey, hey. Talking Schmidt. I'm already not watching. It's cool. Like, tonight is the night. Damn, this is like the coolest thing I'm ever going to do. <laughs> I wouldn't say it was fun. What do you mean? Well, Christian Fletcher's younger brother. Fuck the Dodgers. Oh, big dog's in. What do you think, Dolan? Beyond Schmidt. Talking Schmidt. Alpha macaroni. Most of these guys, their opinion don't matter. Talking Schmidt, right? It's skateboarding. I remember that. Talking Schmidt. What are yuns doing? Holy shit. Skateboarding homies. No, Schmidt, you can't jump in. What is happening? I'm here for Wi-Fi check one, Wi-Fi check two. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another podcast. We're going to talk skateboarding again today. Can you believe it, kids? We got an ex-pro from the Monterey Hills. Today, we got Justin Gerard on the program. How are you? Hey, everyone. Not doing too bad. How are you? I'm good. It's funny. Um, we were talking earlier, and I was like, I wonder when the last time I saw him was. And the last time I saw you, but maybe I didn't see you, was mm -hmm. at the Giants World Series, <laughs> where yeah. uh, there was probably a lot of alcohol uh, being consumed and uh, a lot Indeed, of uh, yeah. high fives and stuff. But uh, uh -huh. how you been? That was uh, 2000. Good. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah, it's well, uh, easy. It's easy exactly yeah it's easy to disappear in um uh, a group of um drunken excited giants fans uh, uh you kind of just blend in everyone's wearing the same stuff anyway right you blend in unless you're stable cool i guess i'm just in. yeah you know i think i'm pretty sure he had me in a headlock at one point uh because i was too rowdy that was a really loud good crew of people but it, yeah i'm 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 doing pretty well I'm back in California, um, back in my home county where I grew up. So moved back last year and um, things have been good thus far. Not too far. I'm right up the dirt road from Zarosh. So. Yeah. So you're in, how you pronounce it? Kachagua? Kachawa. What the fuck is that? Going to take a shower. Konnichiwa. Have you gotten on a dirt board? You know, uh, I, in the period of time that I've been back, we built a mini ramp. I had a new baby. You know, my five-year-old's enrolled in, in school, and he consumes a lot of my time, so I haven't had any time for that. I'm kind of gearing him up to get down. We're gearing up for what they call getting down. We've got a pole barn down there. got a mini ramp in there. In fact, Israel and um, 
some of the Meeks geeks were here the other day, came down here for the weekend and had a session along with some of Brooke's friends. I'm sure you probably met Brooke before, I'm guessing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We're working on building a sustainable skate scene in uh, in the sticks out here with Zerosha's bowl and uh, my mini ramp and then probably some other stuff in the future. We'll see. There's also a parking block down there because there's a bank that goes up to the, yeah. up to the concrete pad for the pole barn. Um, I have not gotten on the dirt board, um, and now we're getting Pacific Northwest rainy weather um, on a on a consistent basis, which I, I don't know. I guess that could be good or bad. I don't know. Yeah. What about you? Have you gotten on the dirt board? I, I've gotten on it a few times, but the last time I got on it, it was uh, King of the Road, where he had like the midway uh, point there. And I went there early because I was filming, so we had to set up and stuff. And I took a run without kind of looking and there was this hose going across the thing and you're cooking on those things. And I hit yeah. the hose and just flew. And literally my back went out so bad that I almost couldn't film that day. I was like, Man. Oh no. Like I had yeah, to just, I, mean, I feel like part of dirt boarding culture is the eating shit. Intentional slam. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, um, and I normally don't intentionally slam. So I, you know, at 52, it's, uh, it's iffy. I'll get on it this summer. I'm sure he's going to have some kind of event and it's like literally right down the dirt road for me. In fact, you know, who knows? You could just skate down on the dirt road. He has actually ridden from my house down to his house. Did you grow up in Kashawa or were you more no, like you know, Salinas? I, basically all over Monterey County, the on the north coast in Seaside Marina. Uh -huh. And then my mom just kept moving towards Salinas. There's a highway called 68 Monterey Salinas Highway between sure. the two towns. And um, we lived on that, which there's there's kind of some ex-urban uh, locations there that when I was a kid were almost rural. You know, they were because there just wasn't a lot of development that period in time. So we lived there. And then at eight, you know, eight and a half, she moved to Salinas. And technically, everyone thinks of the 68 as Salinas unless you're in Seaside, you know. Uh -huh. Salinas is where my formative skateboarding years really began. I started at seven years old in Monterey, but I didn't start taking it seriously, you know, until about 12. Yeah. That's when I dedicated all my time to it. So Salinas is kind of my, you know, kind of my hometown. Um, but I feel comfortable. Out here. So my dad used to have a cabin out here when I was a kid. Oh, and, sick. You know, we also used to come out here a lot to skate shotgun. Not sure if you, that's a really rough, gnarly, just angular ditch. I don't know um, that one. Yeah, it's uh, you know you if you're it's hamburger hands territory if you take a like Superman okay. in that place. But it is fun. What do you think it was that like clicked for you that it was like you said you went from just skating kind of like whatever to like oh I'm gonna put a lot into this. You know, obviously I'll tell a story after this that's kind of funny, but uh, or that's interesting, but um. I would say I just had a genuine passion for it underlying a kind of, you know, ease of kind of, you know, integrating onto it. I felt comfortable on a skateboard pretty much from the first time I ever got on one. That was in this place. And I don't know if you ever heard of Matt Billack before, but he he actually informed me of what this place was. He's an old time skater here. Good, great skater. But I'm pretty sure. I dropped in for the first time. I don't know if it was his ramp. I can't remember whose ramp it was. It was like a, you know, eight and a half foot, nine foot vert ramp, scared to death, of course. And then yeah. um, uh, being 
essentially peer pressured and bullied into, into, you know, into doing it by him and some other guys. There was a, there's a park called Dennis Menace Park, which I'm pretty oh, sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. probably seen. Yeah. So that, the, guy, the comic strip artist is from this area. And oh, so that's okay. how that park um, became a thing. But in addition to that, there is a parking lot adjacent to Baseball Diamond and on a seasonal basis, in the seventies, these people, I don't know who they were, but they used to come in and bring a plexiglass half pipe, no flat bottom and quarter pipes that they would affix to the, to the parking lot surface. Huh. And I lived in an apartment complex near there. And so I'd still change costs like a dollar 50 to get in or something. And so my mom got me a, it's funny. I was talking to somebody else about this recently and they said they also too had a Jaguar banana board. So my mom bought me a banana board, red, two strips of black grip, Jaguar logo on the top and Jaguar logo on the bottom. And um, I used to still change and go over there and uh, skate and get Grom vibed from all the guys in the short shorts. Other than what clicked for me is that's probably the period of time that Thrasher and Santa Cruz and um, some other local kind of, you know, essentially local entities, you know, local brands were, I was becoming aware of those. I was starting to look at magazines, videos. I mean, those would have been, I'm not even sure skate rock because this was 81. Oh, that, that early. Yeah, 82. Okay. So 12, at 12, 82. I turn, you know, my, I'm November birthday, so it's late in the year. You a Scorpio? I am a Sagittarius, but I'm right on the, I'm right on the cusp. On the cusp. So I have elements of both of those things. Yeah. yeah. And so also, you know what? Around that time, the skate scene in Salinas was forming a little more concretely. And so there were other people to skate with. And also, um, I just kind of started running with, with those kids. So. Okay. And then, you know, my, the way that worked out is one of my friends that wasn't taking it seriously gave me a Veriflex Vectra, Vectra. He wasn't really using it. And I said, well, I'm, can I borrow it? You know, and that was a proper skateboard. And in Salinas, the curb cuts are our transition, ride around on those um, and do tricks on them and out on, on top of the sidewalk and that kind of thing. And is there a dedicated skate shop at that time or is it a, um, a bike store that sells boards you know, or what was the so vibes? I'm not, you know what? Uh, so I don't know if it was around at the time. I, I think he might've opened a little later than that, but Bill's wheels, which was essentially my first sponsor shout out was right around the corner from my house. Yeah. So that was a piece of it too, because the scene obviously developed in part around Bill's being in Salinas. Bill being there, I mean, literally, like I said, first sponsor, he would organize demos at local schools, elementary schools, junior high schools, that kind of thing. And there's actually a whole bunch of video of that on YouTube. So you can go back and, and then there'd be a contest with it in conjunction sometimes, but uh -huh. you can go back and look at those and you'll see all kinds of people, you know, like what kind of music do you, were you into music that early or not? Oh yet? yeah. I mean, it went straight from kind of, you know, I guess more obscure new wave right into punk rock, of course. At that time, it would have been metal, new wave. And by that, I mean, not like um, what people think of as new wave now, but I don't right. know, stuff that is a little more Scott was a little more Scott or like kind of punk oriented at the time. Mm. And that, you know, there were a ton of shows here. That's a separate subject, but there were, um, a ton of shows in this area at the time that we all used to frequent. 
it didn't take long for, you know, suicidal tendencies and that kind of stuff to be on the menu, you know, starting with stuff like the Rolling Stones, getting into Iron Maiden, getting into Slayer, getting into, you know, um, even stuff like Voivod and all that, you know, all that kind of kind of stuff. And then transitioning into, you know, all the skate bands, all the skate rock bands, um, including you know, whatever, uh, Big Boys and Drunk Engines. And that's part of that story is that, I don't know if now is the best time to tell it, but it is a thrasher-oriented story because we went to the. I'm pretty sure it was the first skate rock show at the farm. I was there. Me, oh, yeah, me, my friend Greg Perkins, my friend Josh Bear, um, and um, some other people from Salinas. Whatever, just got a ride somehow, you know, and and got to the skate rock show during it like interlude between bands. I didn't know it at the time. But we must have looked like, you know, premier sort of market interviewees because <laughs> Kevin Thatcher came up to us and started asking us a bunch of questions about kind of, you know, our interfaces to skateboarding and what we liked kind of polling us, you know, right. and I'll remember it forever because it was, you know, this, I don't know, it was interesting to have somebody just come up and start asking you questions. And then, of course, we just got in a conversation about it. But this is what, I don't know when the first Skate Rock show was, but I wasn't any older than 16. I was probably 15. That would have been 1985. I remember it as being the first one, but it maybe it was the second. Drunk Engines was there. Was, was Tales of Terror? Who were the bands that played? You know, the one that jumps out to me is Drunk Engines. Okay. How crazy is it that like for us, my high school years were at the farm almost every weekend. And now there's the best skate park in the city is at oh, the farm. In that location. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes uh, municipalities, even if they're not planning, they get their nostalgia right. There's actually, kind of, you know, there's a fair amount of that. So, so I can't remember what the anecdote was, but somebody brought up the same kind of thing. Besides the shop, like what was your first true sponsor like, was it Brand, Brand X? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I actually went to the very first skate camp. You got, if you're, when you're in a single parent household, your, your mom wants to get you the hell out of the house as quickly <laughs> and there. as often as possible. And so she sent me to the very first Visalia skate camp, which at that time, it was just in a parking lot at the, at a YMCA in Visalia. It was either 84 or 85. I can't remember exactly. And Thebo was there and Ron Allen was there. And Hello, it's George. Uh, a bunch of other people. But that was another one of my kind of, you know, entrees into knowing who was who, right? And looking at magazines and understanding who these people were. The the message I got from Ron and Thebo was, Jimmy Thebo, Jimmy Thebo! Go do it! You know, you're you're good, but you're not quite good enough yet for us to sponsor you. Uh, Sean Goff was also there. And it's funny because I reached out to him a while ago to ask him if he remembered this and he didn't remember. And I don't maybe he communicated with them or something. I, I'm not exactly sure how that went down, but he ended up essentially getting in touch with the people at Brand X to get me on their flow team. And that uh, parlayed into a trip down there. Me meeting Bob Schmelzer because ah. Bob was a pro for Brand X at the time. Right. 
Um, me meaning Sean Sullivan, who's a photographer that he had that, he has that book barge at will. And he okay. has some really early photos of me, uh, pre circle a, uh, in that book that are some of my favorites because they're like really unspoiled. Right. You know, it's yeah. like right in between I'm I'm starting to get stuff for free, but you know, it's still kind of pure of heart, <laughs> you know, um, for sure. yeah. um, interface to the, to everything. But I was still obviously, I, who knows what happened because they kind of went out of business there right after a while. Madrid, kind of that whole um, uh, conglomerate of skate brands uh, went out of business. I started getting flowed from Carlos Salinas, who was in between SF and Salinas for Fogtown. Shout out. I started getting, you know, bored to deaths and, you know, Van Gogh's. The Beast. Him. Yeah, yeah he, he moved back to Salinas. I think there was a little period there in the mid 80s where things were a little bit iffy. Uh, I can't remember how I ended up meeting him, but that was effectively my second sponsor. And this kind of, you know, launched me into the castle experience. Contest. Yeah. CASL, uh, California amateur skateboard league. Or, and then from there I met Windsor and all of the spikes and Troy Clower and Ray Barbie and Robert Torres and all, all the guys yeah. in NorCal who, who were going to the competitions you could kind of pull resources and get to the contests, you know, even as far as Arizona and stuff like that. Cause somebody be driving, you know, and so yeah. you hop in the car and go stay where you got to stay and uh, a petition, you know, for a couch to sleep on or whatever. Simpler times, right? You didn't have any worries. You didn't like hesitate. You just no. jumped in and went like you weren't thinking about anything except for, really. I want to go skate with my bros. Yeah. Yeah. And that you want to be around because you, you know, it was, Street skating was really evolving at the time and, right. you know, um, uh, cementing itself as its own genre of skateboarding. And you really wanted to be around those people because the innovation was happening in those circles. And, you know, you were, you were feeding off of that energy, not just that specifically that group of people, obviously SF, of course, you know, a lot, a lot was happening there too. For that early period, though, I was more in the kind of SJ, Sacto, you know, Monterey County scope because that's the crew. That's just the crew of people that I ran with. And that's how, you know, I ended up um, on Circle A. San Jose, San Francisco and Sacramento are three different regions, but they're all pretty close together. But mm -hmm. if you were from one of those regions, especially as a skateboarder, it was very identifiable, like, oh, you yeah. know, like JJ Rogers and that crew with the chain wallets and everything. And, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah at all. Mm -hmm. And then San Francisco was a little more like they were kind of into like uh, the same eyed shirts and like fret. Yeah. Louis more Vuitton. Fresh. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Tommy, yeah, was, yeah. Tommy more... was the the style king. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense because it's kind of. Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, something of a Gotham, you know, style, style experience. And then also you're, I guess you're, if you're growing up in that kind of proper urban environment, your exposure to just more kind of fashionable people, more of an urban experience, um, more of kind of high end goods mm. in general. Right. You know I mean? I don't think Tommy grew up in that kind of environment, but you're around it. Right. right? 
And so, yeah, I mean, Sacto and, and S, SJ was kind of more your suburban skate experience. You know, Sacto is definitely your grave diggers, river tire swing, weekends, hot rod um, experience. I mean, that was fantastic for me because it was Sacto in particular with, with Windsor and Doggin and Troy and you might, oh, you know, Doggin, you oh, know, yeah. Casey. Okay. I know Doggin um, and Windsor. Okay. So, I mean, there was a period, there was one night where, you know, a party spills out of a house or something. And then the next thing you know, people are doing, grabbing onto a tailgate and just being dragged across, you know, across the ground on their butt to see, you know, and then people are measuring how far they got and how, you know, this kind of stuff, just total kind of uh, <laughs> uh, mischievous lawlessness. Uh, Windsor was there, of course. Yeah. Sure JJ was there. All of those other guys were there. Uh, Curtis, Franklin, you know, all these, all these guys uh, being less of kind of uh, that kind of risk taker kind of expanded my uh, view of um, how to get rowdy and how to, how to be a part of that kind of scene. Yeah. Did you ever take down an ashtray? Uh, t- no, uh, no, no. I mean, you know, I'll leave that to the Franklins and the, um, I don't know. Was Did, it Snaggle uh, or who was that? Oh, maybe it was Snaggle. Yeah, I think it might have been Snaggle. <laughs> I feel like, you know, there is a there's another memory that comes to mind of being across the street from the Salinas. I don't know why we were in Salinas, but in the Salinas Armory, which is a skate spot, and there's a little uh, homestyle Mexican place across the street from there called Rosita's. And um, somebody dared Cardiel to eat these. I, they weren't ghost peppers, but they were, they were, I don't think they were jalapenos. They were something uh, uh, slightly more spicy. And he was just, he ate like five or six of them or something on a dare and had to leave the restaurant you know, or had, had, had to hit the, the baño uh, rather quickly. <laughs> and that's another one. I mean, that's another one of those people, you know, that there's the capacity of course, for everyone to kind of take skating seriously, but there was a, you know, equal parts kind of, you know, reckless entertainment and gusto behind trying to trying to do your best skating. And obviously Cardiel is an example of that. Yeah, great experiences. And then the opposite of that would have been my time spent with Ray Barbie and Robert Torres. Right. Bouncing around, uh, going to contests. Those guys were a little more serious is the wrong word, but tame. That started in part with uh, connections with Windsor. Um, their sponsorship with GNS. I never actually rode for GNS, but both those guys rode for GNS, mm. which was, you know, a brand people would have wanted to be riding for at that time, especially with the Miller shape and that shape kind yeah. of inspiring, even probably Windsor's stuff, right? Yeah, Neil Blender. He knows, yeah, all that stuff. Um, yeah, Blender, of course. Uh, which is another story. Yeah, I but I got a really good interface from, you know, I I kind of had a a cross California experience because most of my sponsors outside of Fogtown were always in SoCal. I got to be a part of that Sacto crew, but I also got to be a part of the Barnes, Lucero, Justin Reagan, Schmelzer, all of that crew as well, and have a formative part of my experience kind of developed there in HB, Costa Mesa. So many experiences. Jinx's ramp, Blender's ramp. I got to skate that little mini, yeah, with Schmelzer. Um, <laughs> and just, I think it was just me, Schmelzer, and him. I love Neil Blender, man. That was my jam, too, because I grew up on those little curb cuts. Yeah. Derby, you know, which was 
pumping and speed and launching and, you know, um, inverts and all that kind of thing along with the street skating. Mm. And so I always, you know, tight transitions for me were, you know, something I felt really comfortable with because shorter compact, you know, tuck your knees into your chest kind of stuff was stuff that I had a lot of fun with. And his ramp was like that. It was tight training, huh? Yeah. Which was totally different than and anything else, right? Like everything else was normal transitions. His was, you know, I don't know, three, four feet tall, super tight transitions, super, super tight, you know, extension. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, all the, all the extended rock and rolls you can do, I guess. Right. Did you guys hit Sadlands? I did. Yeah. I did get to skate there. Not Dang. that, not super often. Right. Cause I was like a little further down. I didn't really have the San Diego connections at that time, uh-huh. but um, it was more, you know, NorCal, Orange County, you know, okay. so NorCal OC and more of, I guess, San Diego's slightly less punk rock kind of culture. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know, my interfaces came organically that way. And okay. you didn't, I mean, San Diego had a huge skate scene, but you just didn't make it down there quite as much. It was, and also I think it's slightly more vert oriented for the time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like Del Mar yeah. was there and like a lot yes. of the, the, the big parks and stuff. I remember being a kid going to, upland and del mar for the first time and just like we didn't have anything like Nothing that anywhere like that. up here and yeah. i was like whoa well, yeah <laughs> well ray stevens was here the, the other day with those meeks geeks guys and we were oh. talking about we did have it but it was slightly before our time right. i don't know how old you yeah, yeah so i could have maybe gotten some of the places in norcal like winchester and soquel yeah but i didn't because i wasn't I wasn't quite, you know, taking it seriously enough at the, at the time, sure. but I did, I did. We were talking about how, you know, even after they took SoCal out, there was a chunk of it that was still skatable yeah. and you could, you could go hop the fence. However, so that's, and that's the difference between my, you know, experience with street. And this is actually very kind of specific to that period in time, right? Where, Street skating was, for, you know, forming itself as its own genre. Um, it was more utilitarian because you didn't have the skate parks around anymore. Maybe there was a backyard vert ramp. Maybe there was a backyard mini ramp. But there was the street. There was derby, right? And then there were spots you could kind of hop into, like Soquel. And, you know, on the weekends when the people weren't there running the business and and skate, that was just an absolutely awesome kind of really classic seventies skate, you know, types of transitions in that, in that chunk that was still exposed at the time. Mm. And then of course, Buena Vista, which was probably the first pool I ever skated. And then, and then um, the first, the first full page photo I ever had in a magazine, which was a lean detail into Buena? the shallow. Yeah. Into the shallow and trans world. And okay. I had, I think I had a couple in Thrasher that were like quarter page, you know, half page before that. And then some ads, and stuff, but but that was my first full page that Tobin that Tobin shot. Sick. Okay. Yeah. You came onto my radar probably around this era, which is the Dogtown era. Mm-hmm. And I, how did how did you get on Dogtown, and what what was going going on with that? Circle A was. I love being part of that company. It. I would have loved to have had my first pro model on Circle A, um, and I. You know, I don't really know exactly what what went down with it kind of falling off the radar and Bob starting poorhouse, But, um, I know that 
Bob, <laughs> well, uh, at one point, um, uh, my mom was concerned about my potential, my, my real potential, because I was putting so much time into this, right? And so she had a conversation with Bob. Um, <laughs> and uh, Bob was there to reassure her that my skill level was high enough for me to make something of myself as a, as a, as a professional skateboarder. And um, uh, another part of the conversation, though, was that skateboarding was like rock and roll. You know, and that you you kind of like if you're actually were you know going to to have any concerns, then you need to kind of plan for the nature of that that it might be fleeting, right? Um, and so I think maybe Circle A's I wouldn't say demise, and obviously he's got the shop now, um, and I hope he continues to bring back the brand because it's such a class. I mean, think about this, you know, Templeton, uh, Jake Burns, yeah, Max, uh, you know, all, like so many people. Uh, uh, including, you know, really classic big names. I mean, I skated Flower Street with Dwayne Peters, you know, uh, um, I, like right after I got on, you know. Yeah. Um, and so there were there were really, uh, you know, important people in the background of that. But anyway, that went out of business. Bob started Poorhouse. Um, and in fact, I think it was at the the 88 AM final in Arizona that Bob like just kind of came up to me and said, Oh, here you ride for poorhouse now. And so if you, <laughs> yeah. And so, and so if you, um, if, uh, if you look, there's a photo of me that Dave Swift took where I'm doing a nose bone off of a, I call him the rocket launcher, right? It's the quarter pipe that's in the middle of the big bank. You know what I'm yeah, talking about? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, those need to make a comeback in my opinion, but um, <laughs> those are fun, but it's like uh, a setback. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's just, it's like, there's a quarter pipe in the middle and then a bank. Yeah. Around. So, um, I'm doing a nose bone on one of those and I have a poorhouse t-shirt on and thunder stickers and a poorhouse stick and that kind of thing. But that's when I kind of, I got approached by a few different brands, but I would, I had already met Trugi and kind of that crew. And that's, so I was on Spitfire before they even launched the wheel partially because of that interface I got with Thebo that led to sponsorship by Thunder and Spitfire. Like I said before, I did, I had a quarter page ad, I think, you know, I, I, I talked to, to the Chut dudes and Sergeant cause concrete jungle was still around, which is probably my all time favorite skateboard company. It was the, in my view, it was the first street skater company. Yeah. You know, it was, it was really the first one other, you know, maybe I'm not sure when shut came around, but those were the first two. So Bob says he ride for Poorhouse now. And then Shrugi kind of said, well, you should consider Dogtown. And my criteria at the time, and he was convincing, of course, right? Um, and it was coming up north, right? Because Fausto was getting involved with it. And High Speed was getting involved with it. Yeah. So it was going to be in my neck of the woods. Um, and in addition to that, you know, riding for brands like Fogtown and Circle A, I just kind of inherently have a respect for tradition and that obviously always bled into my skateboarding. Obviously Dogtown had a fantastic team of well-respected, really, really nice people who are all like, you know how Christian is just like an affable, really nice guy all the time. Yeah. 
all those guys are the same way. And, you know, and so all my sponsors would be under the same roof. They'd be in NorCal, you know, and it made a lot of sense to me. But the primary motivator for me, honestly, is just the history of that brand. And right. having having skated the walls, you know what I mean, with Jackson and Dress and, and Murray Fingers and Oster. Oster and all of those guys who are all fantastic dudes, you know, and seeing Jay Adams around the whole nine, you know, spending, spending time down there, um, rolling through there with Julian and, um, you know, other guys that had an interface to that area because they lived there. Um, I just, you know, that, that feeling let, led me to want to be on Dogtown. And I, you know, I'm lucky enough, like me and Karma, I think in that period, we were the last ones to get a Dogtown Cross, right? In that, because, so my first pro model was Dogtown Cross with the skeleton mobster. And then there's two hands at the bottom going like this. Yeah. It's, it's extremely rare, I'm sure. I only have one. Lucky to, to have one of those. Right before they, you know, they were kind of making a move more into modernizing their aesthetic, which obviously, you know, they were obviously Dogtown's always going to be Dogtown, and that's they're back to where they were, which is where they always should have been. But um, everybody understands why this stuff happens. But uh, you know, my next one was, which was which was cool too, which is the you know the kid jumping, he's in the air and he's throwing a firework at a cop car. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's, it's a cartoon graphic. So that was the second one, okay. but that, you know, that, and then at the time, obviously they were making an effort to bring a lot of other, you know, burgeoning heavy hitters onto the team, Wade, JJ, you know, yeah. everybody like basically, you know, Cardiel, um, right. Yeah. I mean, even Ko. you know, I mean, Ko, who was a mad circle guy, he rode for Dogtown, um, and they sponsored a lot of EMB skaters Mm. and they were taking a little bit of an H street style approach to that, you know, to kind of get the brand visible, um, to people who are kind of probably outside of the cultural scope for it at the time. Right. Uh, And I think that they had some success with it for a while. And, but that, you know, like I said, I wanted to ride for Dogtown because of the history of the band, because of the people that were involved in it and because I had a great respect for it. Um, and it, it had been a part, right. You know, along with suicidal yeah. and, and my, my personal experiences, it, it had been a part um, of my, um, uh, you know, entree into skate culture. Yeah. I mean, that was huge. What mm-hmm. happened with the first board you said, why was it so rare? Oh, because they were making the they were making the graphic the the graphic treatment transition from the cross to stuff more along the lines of like my you know that graphic I just um, explained or, or detailed and yeah. then Wade's graphic right and JJ's which had like the 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 um, temple figure on it so more they were doing some more kind of um, cartoon illustration oriented stuff like mine. And I kind of took on, you know, I, I did, there was definitely a, we need a replacement for Eric Dressen kind of thing. And I was a similar type of skater, you know, like high speed and people used to make comparisons to me in him a lot back then, um, before street skating really asserted itself and you could still be ATV, but you kind of had to trend a little more toward, dedicated street skating you know like there were younger kids starting to skate 
So yeah. you need to bring, you need to kind of be attractive to them. And um, that went for, for karma too. But for some reason, I don't remember any of karma's other graphics. I just remember his cross, you I know, think he had a dog. They re-released it. Oh, okay. Yeah. I always thought maybe it was more like because San Francisco had taken on Dogtown, like it was with Fausto and Keith and those guys. And that uh-huh. maybe maybe that they were trying to separate the it's not a Venice company anymore. Like Venice yeah, is the crosses same. and this yeah. is like our version. Okay. Yeah, I think both are true. It's interesting. I was is there some in inside joke because Ibiseta keeps telling me to ask you what they did with your first born. Oh, I mean, apparently, so I don't know. You probably, did you, you grew up in SF? No, I, I grew up yeah. in the suburbs, like Redwood City, San Carlos. Okay, alright, so yeah. you, how, when did you meet Jake? <laughs> Ooh, it's funny, I met him at um, Glory Hall and at Concrete when he worked at the shop. Oh, okay. So you met him real early then. you. Dude, but I met him as a total, like you were saying, just getting vibed. Like I was looking, oh, through, I got vibe. I was looking through shirts and yeah. he was like, who's going to put those shirts back? And I was like, yeah, Wait, yeah. what? Like just shit like I don't that. remember a particular verbal, like, <laughs> you know, um, uh, like epithet or anything, but I, I do remember just feeling like these guys don't like me when I went into concrete jungle, you know, for the first time at like, I don't know, 13 or 14, right. Or something scary. like that. At, yeah. And feeling super vibed and probably looking to them like a kook, you know? So, um, uh, but anyway, uh, so what happened <laughs> was they took the cartoon graphic and they, w- this goes back to me going off Dogtown. If you want me to like, like essentially quit, like quitting. Oh, so Dog- when you quit Dogtown, they did this. Yes. So, so really, what was going on the time for me was board royalty checks were were slim, right? They were they were pretty thin at the time. Yeah. Um, Dogtown was going that through that transition, so they're selling less of that stuff. Um, the way that I was getting by because I moved from here. Right, right after I turned 18 to Daly City, and I lived in oh. the same apartment with Red Dog. Oh, damn. Yeah, yeah. So I lived in, in an apartment in Daly City with Red Dog at the period of time that this whole transition was happening. He had moved up here, right? The brand was going through its transition, and I was moving up there because my career was, you know, as a pro was beginning. Living there, <laughs> um, going in and out of high-speed and getting vibed by Jake in the, in the, in the, so, so that was like, you know, even, even then, right. The warehouse, you, you get vibed in the warehouse. Like when you go in there to get some decks and I actually have something of a independent streak uh, running in me too. So to the, ex- the extent I, that, that Jake would do that to me, I kind of like my, you know, my fight or flight instinct was like, well, whatever, you know, <laughs> like, well, screw you too, you know, <laughs> yeah, right. This sure. kind of thing. And so back, back to the economic part of that, I just kind of, I had some family stuff going on and the way that I was surviving and paying rent in that apartment was I was placing well in contests and I was getting, so I was getting contest match, Right. I was getting winnings, matchings from Thunder Spitfire and DTS. And then um, I was getting photo incentives and I was getting the winnings themselves, which weren't huge, 
but it was enough to like get by. And it was me and Brooke actually at that time. Right. And she was doing like a regular job, but it got to the point where in addition, you know, in conjunction with that, with the economic challenges and some stuff that was going on in my family, the opportunity to ride for new deal came around. Right. And I said, you know, I don't know how long this is going to last. Right. You know, in general, I could hurt myself tomorrow and you know, like my career could be over. So I decided to take that opportunity, right, and sat in a room with Fausto Vitello by myself at 18, you know. Um, and you know how all these guys are, you know. Absolutely. You know, the, the, and this is interesting <laughs> because I have a loyalty-oriented interface to things too, but I was having a hard time and, like, kind of getting this all going and feeling like the commitment was there for me and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm. And so uh, uh, in addition to some challenges, uh, he just, he didn't want, he was like trying to convince me, you know, and um, I basically what it came down to was those challenges I was facing and the opportunity that was being presented. And so when I did that, I think kind of what happened in the background was, um, uh, was that, Jake already didn't like me. And, and then, you know, I had just quit Dogtown. And with these guys who have a pure, very, you know, masculine, loyalty-oriented culture, their response to that was like, well, fuck you, you know? <laughs> and so um, uh, that's where Just a Goon came from, which was, which was uh, they took the board. And then I don't know if you could read it or not, <laughs> but like in the, in the flames of the firework, it said my name and they just, oh. they just you know, the firework was going down and they, they changed it to say that. I don't, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, it didn't bother me then. It doesn't bother me now. It's perfectly okay. fine. I mean, I'll just chalk it up to like, you know, a Rocco Powell style. <laughs> um, right. All coverage is good. Coverage controversy is, is, you know, controversy is good kind of thing. I'd love to get my hands. I think they took the boards and they did that. So I think oh. they took the remaining boards and then they actually printed on them and sold them or something. I don't, you know, get my hands on one because that's even more than my first pro model. I don't begrudge people. I understand where that kind of, you know, attitude comes from. I completely understand it. Uh, it wasn't, I think until, until I started doing mad circle and I began to advertise in Thrasher that I, things started to start to normalize. Okay. But that was a good experience for me because it actually took a lot of like, you know, courage is the wrong word, but sitting in a room with a guy like that and it's sticking intense. to your guns about, I got to move on, you know, yeah. um, that, that kind of um, gave me a fair amount of confidence after I, in, in experiences, for instance, after leaving skateboarding and working in corporate and all that kind of stuff. And just, oh. just being able to say, no, I'm doing it like this. I understand if this is nothing against you. Right. Right. I understand where you're coming from, but I kind of have to move on, you know, or, uh, or whatever it was. And I guess I have a little bit, I do. I mean, I remember when Moses, like, and everything is like totally cool between us is so long ago. Any right. Anyway. Right. And yeah. he's involved in a project we're working on with Pontus and some other stuff. But when Moses quit, my feelings were so hurt, you know, like, like when he quit mad circle, 
I was like, bro, you know, I, I, I put so much energy into this and well, your family uh, you know, too. You, it's like yeah, you lost yeah. a brother. You're like, wait, we're we're hanging out. We're, it's more than just you're on the it team. Is. You're my bro. Yeah, no, he was part of the part of our family, and and it was a surprise. That was the other aspect, and I think it probably came as a surprise to these guys too. And I think they're they're personally hurt by it, right? Like they're it's not necessarily that they're hurt, but they're they they feel um like betrayed. I, I'm only bringing that up because it's a it's a corollary for my experience as somebody running a company, I'm it, uh, and it happened to be Moses, right? And it was Tusk too, actually. So I understand, I, you know, like you feel as if you're putting an investment into somebody, right? You're making an investment in someone, and you feel kind of personally betrayed uh, when when somebody does that. So I understand. It's never easy. There's not. No, a, it's, it's never not, easy. Yeah, everybody's been through it. I learned pretty early on, you're only the hot shit for a pretty short period of time, right? And like, yeah, like three years. <laughs> yeah, you're only. The, I learned you're this lucky. pretty early on. You know, man, this I'm lucky enough to be doing this. I got. I have to take advantage of the time that I have, and I had sure. a decently long career. I mean, technically, it went almost as long as Mad Circle. I hung it up slightly early because I felt like I'm putting too much time into the brand and I should probably, you know, I don't want to be accused of like milking it, you know, or or something like that. And at the time, I mean, nowadays it's different. And I think that's good. I think it's good that you don't necessarily have to be risking your life, right. Or something to have a pro model. Like you can kind of just have one and you can have one on the strength of your earlier career. And I think that's good because, you know, people need it. And this is a lifelong career for, a fair amount of people. So that that's good. I think that's good. Yeah, but you're a pioneer. You're like one of the guys that started in the era of when street skating started. So like for you to have a legend board doesn't make sense then. Like now it, no, does, it doesn't. But we yeah. have to build this thing before right. we can have legends. You're right. You're right. And there's an element of that where there was that period where the culture shifted. Competition became a taboo being competitive became a taboo right people Contest. transitioned away from from competition have humility was this kind of aspect you know of of oh i'm not you know no my you know uh, my part sucks you know or whatever right like and and being competitive with other people wasn't um was frowned upon and so that you know was an aspect of it too also you know that was just a practical move on my end because it's hard running a brand and staying relevant, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's depth because it was, you know, really incredibly DIY at the time. Um, mm. and I had help, I had some backing, you know, um, but Mad Circle was also its own corporation for the whole time. And that was done intentionally, um, because it was a SF company right. and the back, the backing wasn't in NorCal. Um, you know, we had our own, we had our own kind of culture and thing, but that, that's the, you know, that's a long winded answer, but that, that was the story as okay. it, as it related, as it related to Dogtown, um, by and large. And I had to explain it because I had to explain why yeah. this board was happening. You no, know? I'm, I'm and, fascinated yeah. with this stuff, man. I love hearing yeah. all this stuff. This is when you're shining, you're putting out a couple yeah, video yeah. parts with like Danny Sargent and this like mm-hmm. new thing and this it's kind of street skating's really taken off and like you're a big part of that. Um, What was that like? I mean, what are the early discussions? Like is, 
are you talking with Steve Douglas? Are you going down there? Like well, they, so they they had um, just I got on like a, a few months after the promo video came out. Okay. So so I had, like I said, you know, I had had some I had t- talks with people, you know, that I was th- for the brands that I was really interested in, and yeah. at, at that one contest that I met at the at the AM finals that I mentioned, that was shut concrete jungle right um, uh, uh dogtown um there were some other ones you know uh that that were for potentials for me but it you know really it was my friendships with danny rick um knowing andy and other people that led to them reaching out to me you know and saying hey do you want to be a part of this thing um and it you know <laughs> it was it, I mean, New Deal for that two to three years um, of 1990 to 1993, 94 uh, was at least nine to up to 93, right? Was pretty much the hottest brand. You know, I went from struggling ec- economically to especially at the time for making good money for that period. Yeah. And, and, you know, that did a lot for um, not only me and, you know, my uh immediate kind of family and um, others in, in, in that specific period of time. Um, but it, it also helped me kind of form views and uh, a kind of baseline for what I did with my later career and what I do with Matt Circle. Um, and it opened up a lot of opportunities for me. And I was also familiar with all these people because I spent so much time in OC as a Circle A guy. You know, I already knew Ed. Me and Ed were on the same team with Circle A. Uh, right, yeah. and we did some traveling together, so there was also that connection. I didn't think of that. Circle okay. A, sure. Ed. It was we're all just and and it had a new you know there was a new concept going along with it, and I know that didn't pan out the way that it was originally imagined. But how it was originally imagined was that everyone that rode for the company would actually have a stake in the company, oh. right? And so that was that was partially pitched, um, and that's why in part it was called the New Deal. Obviously, there was the New Deal shop in the UK and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But another aspect of it was we want to be able to share in this thing with everyone else. And that came out of people being dissatisfied with vision and Schmidt sticks. It evolved into a lot of us being able to have our own companies. So underworld element. Yeah. Right. And, and others. So that's, that's really kind of how that transpired. And that was ultimately better. Yeah. So it really started with, kind of, you know, my relationships with Danny and Rick. And I already, I mean, I had already talked to Danny at that period in time about, about concrete, concrete jungle and um, meaning previously. So, okay. I actually honestly can't remember exactly who just, I think it was a, it was a call that I had with Andy facilitated by Danny and Rick. I think that's what it was. Okay. Um, You know, they wanted us, my style skating, you know, to, round out you know um the the uh the styles on the team couldn't say no i mean that's couldn't a say no. that's a great time to be alive the useless wooden toys video is mm-hmm. that is that kind of like when you get on are they already talking about that like yeah pretty much and you know it's interesting it brings up a an aspect of nowadays you know there's positive and aspects to this but um Back then, it was just photos, right? It would, videos yeah. were really 
just then starting it to was just Santa Cruz or Powell were like the only videos exactly. back then. Yeah, exactly. And so there were, you know, my, my whole, uh, uh, development skating in the eighties in Monterey County, which there's lots of spots and there's, there's some photos floating around out there. In fact, there's one Sean Martin. Yeah. There's one of Sean. <laughs> there, there's one of Sean when he and Tobin and some other people took a road trip down and we went to a lot of spots in that area that there was a lot of really good skating going on that just never got on video. Right. The no. only, the, and the only kind not of everybody had of, video cameras. Yes, exactly. And the only evidence of it is really just the photos that are still floating around out there. Right. They were talking about that. Obviously everybody was already filming and that the promo had already come out. So sure. I didn't have an opportunity to be in that. Um, but really, I mean, for all intents and purposes, like I was on at the very beginning. I think people think of it that way, yeah. right? When they think of the main pros on New Deal, mm -hmm. um, including Douglas and those guys. That's another, back to what I was saying about kind of um, distinct and iconic graphic treatments for skateboard graphics. Obviously, Andy's style <laughs> yeah. was very distinct. And um, I was lucky enough to have a few of those. You know, there's the, uh, the Adventures board, the Pimpball Wizard board, those yeah. are the two main ones drawn drawn by Andy. And, um, you know, those have a specific kind of theme behind them that was right. actually tied to the experience I imparted to you about that I had on Dogtown. And then the whole fireworks thing literally just came out of a Cowskates tour <laughs> where, where, where we were literally, we were so like a whole bunch of people. And um, it got to the point where we were, because in California, you can't, you can't just like go by fireworks. Right? No, yeah. No. And so we're in, we're in like, you know, Kentucky and Ohio, you know, all these yeah. places. And you so we're like, you over and, fire, like yeah. but, uh, you know, and so we would spend like, you know, a couple hundred bucks. And, you know, at one point we were letting off like a box full of them in like a parking lot and then got bottle rockets and there were two vans and we were firing them at each other out the, out the, you know, um, this was in the spring, so it's still wet and muggy out there and, and, you know, launching them at each other from van to van and all this kind of stuff. But, oh yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's where, <laughs> that's where that whole thing kind of came from. Okay. I don't know if that, yeah, that was the time. So I also knew Douglas and those guys cause Douglas was in SJ uh -huh. and, with Bob. Um, there was, huh? With Bob. Yeah. Yeah. And then there was, um, the, the Santa Cruz warehouse. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, was, yes. And Hensley ramp, which was probably gone by that time. Mm. But I, I still had interfaces with all those guys. I was telling Ray how I have all these old photos of Rick Moody and Aaron Arno and Schroeder. Huh. It's something when you have that many and also you're traveling the world doing it. And that was, you know, an, another great opportunity that came with new deal. Not that I didn't have that beforehand, but it's such a distinct thing to be doing that you never really, I mean, I haven't, I wrapped Matt circle up in 1998, but you're never completely removed from it. Like, you know, when, when you have this deep of an interface to it, because you have so many friendships developed over that court, over that period of time. Oh but, yeah. You know, my, my, my first, I mean, that's up there. I don't know if you can see it, but that's a, it's a, it's a cutout that Schmelzer gave me of the Lopes uh, Monopoly board, the oh, circle yeah. A one. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, my first trip to Europe was in 1989 with that dude and Bill Weiss. 
with Joe Lopes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My no first way. Trip. Yeah. Yeah. That was my first trip. So, I mean, I know I'm getting kind of far afield here, but no, it's, it's fine. It's, that, um, Bill yeah. Weiss said Joe Lopes. That's amazing. Yeah. And I always forget Mike's <clears throat> last name, but Mike was a circle A vert am and he was with us. So me, Mike, uh, Weiss, Lopes, and I think that was it. Not, you know, Ross. Ross was obviously the big Ross Goodman. Ross was Goodman, the, the yeah. Big, uh, I don't think he ever turned pro for Circle A either. He didn't. He turned pro for Santa Cruz. Uh-huh. But but um, he was, you know, kind of the heavy vert hitter for, for Circle A at the time. Yeah, me, and that was a formative experience because Lopes was, you know, um, living full. Put it that way. Party hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I was a little, I was more reserved, you know, but I didn't have any trouble kind of um, just being there. You, you're, you're seeing this continuing evolution, uh-huh. right? but I got to experience like the whole thing, you know, even like all of those, those kind of cultural periods all the way back to, like I was saying, you know, the, the soft knee pad and the, um, and the Hobie thing, you know, yeah. through the, the, the kind of, you know, um, baggy pants cut off to all the way to their through the punk rock, <laughs> through the, you know, through the hip hop, through the, you know, the whole thing. Um, uh, and that's, you know, a real cultural migration, you know, that, that skateboarding was doing and street skating was obviously a big, big part of that. Right. Cause For that's sure. kind of, to a certain extent, you know, where the punk rock came in, where the hip hop came in um, and the merge. Kind of, I mean, I guess bad brains is kind of your, your, your middle. I don't know. It's uh very few people get to have that kind of get have that kind of experience. Um, so you're really lucky to have been able to do it. You know who came up with the name useless wooden toys? You know, I want to say it might've even been Brent oh. or something, but Schmidt could tell you that. I don't do tricks. I just roll. I was involved creatively and I came up with my own graphic concepts. Right. And everybody did for the most part. Uh-huh. That was another promise. I really only got into creating my own graphics when I started through Schmidt, through Paul Schmidt and Gorm Boberg, who I don't know if you know or not, uh, no. but, but Gorm um, is, you know, was Swedish uh, street skating champ. Uh, and he was the, uh, he was one of the illustrators for New Deal and he wrote uh. for New Deal. But I got into computing through those guys. And that's when I started doing uh, uh, graphics through computing. I didn't have the illustration skills. But the reason I'm bringing this up is that I was, again, I was just really more focused on the skating. And so, for instance, dog, you know, Ansel and Red Dog and those guys came to me and said, kind of, what do you want? And I said, well, I kind of want a mob, a mafia, <laughs> you know, gangster, yeah. <laughs> and I want this and that. And then they just kind of came up with that from there, right? Sure. And it was this it was kind of the same thing with Andy, although that was a little more involved, right? With New Deal, where we created a story, right? Like there was a story there, right. and the story gravitated from one yeah. deck to another, um, and the concept actually got sort of a little more abstract, right? As it as it went on, but it was still the same basic one, but the characters were developed out of that. You you'll see that through like especially with Andy's graphics. Obviously, Ed did his own stuff from the beginning, but mine have a real 
um, arc going from Andy to Barry, right? Going from Andy to Barry McGee with New Deal, me obviously always articulating the concepts and then the illustrator kind of coming up with their vision of that. Like I said, with Andy, the, the adventures board and the, um, uh, the pit ball and all that kind of stuff, those were a specific set of concepts. And so we worked on the characters together and this is where Susie switchblade came from. Susie switchblade is Brooke <laughs> essentially with a new, you know, um, with a, a more, <laughs> uh, Vixen kind of, uh, um, concept right. wrapped around. Yeah. Um, which Andy actually injected that part. So it, you know, it's, it's a collaborative process from new deal to mad circle going from Andy to Barry McGee, who's twist mm -hmm. who at that time is not mm -hmm. twist now. Like he, he yeah. was blowing up as you guys were. It was just like the timing couldn't have been better. Yeah. Well, and it's, you know, this is also a, an example of, for instance, how EMB comes into play because yeah. right after, right. I, I actually started going down there to skate when I was still on Dogtown. Okay. And back to really sort of not feeling extra comfortable with a lot of the people. I always, you know, Stacy Gibo was always super cool. Do you remember Stacy Gibo? Yeah, I love Stacy. He Stacey. was he was in the he was in the warehouse. Yeah, Stacy was a bro and he always felt really comfortable around him. But there was this kind of wall to break down a high speed. And that wall it wasn't quite as stiff, you know, it wasn't quite as structurally um, kind of rigid down right. at EMB, right? Like those guys have, they definitely had, you know, a barrier, right? But that barrier, it just, I don't know. It was more kind of colloquial. It was more kind of like, you know, you make your commitment down here and then you get to be part of the crew as yeah. long as you're not AT dog. That EMB uh, is a cultural linchpin in the um, kind of merging of existing non-skate oriented street culture and street skating. And these two things obviously kind of merged because they were both happening on the street, right? Yeah, like graffiti is yeah. going on. Yeah, so it's exactly. Like, yeah, exactly. And I feel kind of like, I don't know, I kind of want to say slap came out of that too. You're right. I think you're right. Slap was part of that. I mean, Lance was... Um, very much interface to that new school kind of thing that was. It happening. was very hip hop and street and graffiti yep. kind of feel. Like it was very different than what it became. Um, and but it had that EMB. I remember, like the dudes, like Carol and a bunch of those dudes were at EMB one day, and everyone had a slap shirt on. And I was like, "What the fuck yeah. is slap?" It just yeah, said yeah. slap. That was it, and no one yeah. knew what it was. And then all of a sudden, the mag came out. And uh, so that's interesting. Yeah. We and I think uh, you're right in that that magazine was developed to a certain extent to kind of um, knock that barrier down. Sure. Right. And Lance, I think, was put in charge of it also for that reason, because the guys that were getting covers there and getting the coverage there weren't necessarily associated with at that time, the older school kind right. of um, group of people that Thrasher uh, was characterized by. Mm -hmm. And you know, I mean, it goes all the way back to the guys, guys that just kind of were more casual skateboarders at EMB that were just 
locals, right? You know, like Farin and Jer and and all of those guys who most people don't know, but but are in the illustrations, you know, when you see yeah. an EMP crew breakdown. And, you know, that's a very organic, very natural cultural phenomenon that happened in SF, right? You know, as a function of both of these things being uh, um, uh, predominantly street oriented. Right. And that, you know, that's the slap is a good point. And it, interestingly, you know, I think that's one of the reasons it became the board that it is, the the bulletin board, you know, the yeah. slap forum, because I don't know. I, there's just my kind of biggest, my biggest mistake. A friend of mine said, park your ego at the door. That's where it's your opportunity. Like I said, to say, I don't, like you said, no regrets. Like I don't, I have a really hard time ever looking back on any of the decisions I made to say a regret is something really profound. You know, in my world, a mm. regret is, I don't know. It's just the wrong word for me. Yeah. They're all experiences that I had, that I learned from all the stuff that we've been talking, none of that I view as negative and, you know, down all the way down to sitting in a room with Fausto or whatever. These are all things that I learned from and, um, you know, definitely like no regrets on any of that. Sure. Um, you know, even my exit, you know, which I made uh, of my own volition because I wanted to go explore and do other things and skating it had just become, you know, it was kind of moving in a direction that I didn't like. And I didn't have great relationships with the people I was partnered with at the time, which is totally different now. You could try and get out of it, and it wouldn't it wouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. You could you know what I mean? Like you could try and be like, oh, I'm done with skateboarding, you know, <laughs> and and like I'm going off to do something completely different. To this day, people are still going to bring up people who did almost completely remove themselves from it. You yeah. know, like I still remember whatever you know Ray Meyer. Like yeah. Whomever, you know, who, who had separate careers and stuff like that. And, you know, they were in skateboarding still because they had a, a, a lots of friends and, you know, relationships sure. and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, definitely no regrets. Same, same deal on my end. Well, was the shop gone boarding, was that a, a, during New Deal or? That was during New Deal. Yeah. And that was, you know, those Brooke and uh, the uh, Marilyn and Chrissy got together and wanted to start it. I told them to call it Blondies. I thought that would be, they were all blonde. <laughs> but um, I thought that would have been a good name. Short-lived, I guess, for the most part, but it it kind of developed its own scene down there in Lower Haight. There was FTC, and FTC was probably still like both a sports store and skateboarding mm. at that time. It's It's interesting how that developed its own, you know, almost exclusively skate oriented um, scene Uh because, you know, it had, it was a regular sports store on top of that. Yeah. How, how did you meet uh, Barry? So I, you know, I don't know. We were encouraged to kind of develop our own um, graphic identity at new deal. Um, Even though Andy stuff was so distinct and everybody was, Maybe, you know, encouraged to the extent that like, if you wanted to go off and develop that, then you were free to do it. Right. Um, and I think Andy was just, I think it was, he was trending into doing underworld element. Right. And so there was room for that where I could like go out and explore. And um, so Gorm, who I mentioned earlier, Gorm Boberg, you can, he, I, you know, his, I think his 
IG handles just Gorm underscore underscore Boberg. Okay. Um, he had, and obviously lots of other people had introduced me to like graffiti. I never did it, but I used to go out with him like into the Anjuda tunnel because it was something to do. Right. Wow. <laughs> it was like something to, to go and experience and being on the street, you want to be on it all the time. And you're seeing a sort of, set of messages be conveyed through the graffiti, you know, and everything. And so I would go out with him, but that wasn't the exclusive experience, but the long story short, I, I just saw his stuff on the street. Oh yeah. So I just, I saw his faces and the screws um, and then the tags, which were all distinct and stood out. Right. Sure. They were, I don't know. They just kind of had a little more depth than and they weren't, they were also, it's an interesting thing to say because they were usually one color, but they, but they did have, right. They had this kind of additional depth to them and something that was different. There was this world of graffiti and skating and art that were merging. I met Mr. Element. I had seen Barry's stuff out on the street <laughs> and I said, you know, I wonder if this guy might want to do skateboard graphics. Right. And so I just asked Mr. Element, I said, Hey, do you know this guy? Like, who is this guy? And he said, Oh yeah, that's, you know, that's Barry. That's twist. I said, well, you want to ask him if he wants to do skateboard graphics? And, uh, that's what he did. And then he, he facilitated a phone conversation. Uh, like he said, Oh, it was just exchange information. I called him on the phone. I said, well, here's what I'm looking at. Here's the kind of stuff that I want to do. Um, I give you a concept and then you illustrate it. And he said, sure. Cause he was still in art school at the time. Yeah. And, um, uh, I think he probably, you know, extra money. Um, they paid fair. It gave, I think it gave him an opportunity to do some, um, to, to go in a direction that his, both his schooling, which was printmaking and his personal graffiti weren't going right. And so, um, I mean, the stuff that he did for me was extremely, uh, in most cases, really detailed, um, you know, pencil, pen, white out and ink, you know, mm -hmm. and then maybe, uh, you know, colored pencil or, or another method of coloring it if he was actually coloring the art. But yeah. that's how I met him. He's actually, I don't know if most people don't know this, but he's in the beginning of, of uh, Let the Horns Blow drawing. Because of my experience with Andy and because of my experience with Gorm, who were both skate artists, yeah, I always viewed these guys as you're kind of like part of the team. You know what I mean? Like when we bring you on and you're like the primary illustrator for what we're doing, yeah, I see you as part of the team. And that's kind of what I'm building is, you know, whether it's I also want a vert skater, even though it's out of fashion because I'm a complete skateboarder. You know, and I, I mean, I, I would also want like an ATV and that was kind of Moses, you know, so that's kind of how the team I was building. And I know we haven't brought it up. We're talking about Mad Circle, right? But uh, I wanted an artist that was like also part of the team. And so um, he's there's a little blip of him in the very beginning montage. Uh -huh. We actually hired him full time and he was an employee of a uh, ride of Mad Circle Incorporated. Uh -huh. and, and he for the first two and a half years, roughly, right, did most of the primary illustrations. And then there were other, like Gorm. Gorm, I actually developed the brand more with Gorm than I, right? We developed the brand. Mm. And then 
a lot of those concepts would go to Barry. And that's, for instance, where like we can't, we're not looking at it right now, but there's the, the Mad King, right? That's going, that's kind of sticking his tongue out and he's like looking like this and he's got the tall crown and there's the concentric circles behind it. That's yeah. a combination of me illustrating a con, me and Gorham coming up with the concept, illustrating it to Barry, and then, you know, his interpretation of of what we were you know of what we were asking of them and right. so the that the official seal came out of that the um uh the mad ball um uh, facing came out of that um and then a lot of obviously really detailed uh, board graphics that that he illustrated for everyone in the very beginning okay we basically the way that we worked was we bought him a fax machine <laughs> and I still have a bunch of these faxes, you know, wow. where we're like going back and forth, you know, saying change this and change that. How does this look? You know, that kind of thing. And he, so he, and, and then he was off also finishing up school and yeah. doing his graffiti. <clears throat> what a, what a fucking time. Nobody will ever understand that. That wasn't a part of that era because it's like, there was no phones that you could just take a photo of something and zap it to them. Yeah. Like all the different things that we went through, like video editing. I was laughing. I was talking to somebody the other day and they're like, you know, we had to do tape to tape, blah, blah, blah. I was like, I know that's how we did the think video. Like there was footage coming in, but we couldn't put it earlier in the video because we already had half okay. the video made, you know, okay. shit like, shit like so that. You, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you know, I guess, so there was at that particular time, I think email was, kind of becoming a thing, but it was all dial up and you it, couldn't send a photo or anything. Yeah, like that. it was just so yeah. boring. At least so to, you were to working me. with fish and, and yeah. That uh, was my first job that uh um Greg, well, you know, Phil Shaw was my local he, uh, Redwood okay. City. We grew yep, up together. Yep. So he was actually on confusion with Joe Lopes. Okay. That was his first sponsor. But then Phil got sponsored by Think. And then I kind of was got filming it. with him. So they hired me. Okay. I mean, all that stuff, like, you know, rendering and all these things. It just took so yeah. time to, like, do nothing, really. You saying the facts, the graphic back and forth is yeah. just, that's classic, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and then, you know, that process would then be me taking possession of the art sending it down in some cases, sending it down to Costa Mesa to get drum scanned or getting a drum scanned in SF, you know, and then um, uh, uh, helping to work on it, you know, whether or not it was being colored after the fact. Um, and that's when, I, you know, with Matt's that with new deal, this was me just still skating primarily. Yeah. And it was still kind of, you know, it was practical. You could, there was enough, you know, well, you didn't totally. know any better. Like it was all that yeah. you could do. So I was like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But um, that, you know, being involved in all of that is, you know, um, partially how I felt comfortable starting Mad Circle from a skills standpoint. And then um, how I got involved in early internet, free press, print production, video production, you know, uh, Mad Circle was probably one of the few companies at the time that had a website. It was like relatively rudimentary, but I got into working on that stuff, uh, working within those mediums through through all of this because it was DIY early. I, you know, Paul told me this the other day because I was down 
they're looking through old stuff in his workshop, Schmidt, and yeah. um, he told me the name of of this first edit digital video editing program, and now I can't remember it. Was but before it was like Media One Hundred? It was before. That's what that's what let the horns blow was done on. I think it was like something studio, and it wasn't even Adobe. It was like a third party company that probably then got bought. Yeah, you know, buy okay. Media One Hundred or buy yeah. CGI or something like that, that ended up getting bought. But that's what 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 Let the Horns Blow was edited with. Okay. Um, and I literally received my education in those uh, production mediums through those guys, you know. Okay. Schmidt, Gorm, Andy, um, and then some other guys, you know, that uh, Friedberg was part of that too. Like you kind of, did you have a hand in 411? To the extent that like I could contribute. So I was in the room when that decision was made. It was for us, it was more like, well, now you're going to have access right to this medium of delivering, you know, promotional materials for your brand and everything. Yeah. I was in, I was in that kind of pretty, pretty much came out at the same time that I, it might've been the same meeting where they, you know, Andy and Paul and Steve said, you know, if you were going to do a brand, like what would it be, you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> and so this was after this was after Underworld was either starting to form or it formed. Yep. You know, and all these things were beginning to happen. And four one one was. I mean, I can picture it now. You know, everybody, him, Douglas, and Friedberg, and everyone sitting in there going, you know, we need a video magazine, and this can work, and you know, we can we can make it happen on a monthly basis. Life hammer right there. Yeah, it was another one of these pillars of the um, development of, of, of more easily accessible, both media, you know, and products um, through the internet, through like Rocco moving production to China, right. you know, and this kind of stuff. Um, and then 411 making all of this stuff more accessible to people on a more rapid basis. <laughs> you know and I mean? I guess what you could say is Instagram is essentially the next iteration of that. And I, yeah. you know, that's, it's positive and negative, right. You know, because in my view, there's like, you know, there's a good, there are positives and negatives, for instance, to barriers to entry to things. And when you, when you, when it's just mass exposure, you know, all of, all of that changes. Um, and you, like, like, like I said, you know, you get positives and you get negatives from that. And sure. it's with skateboarding. It's been this mass kind of growth in different genres of skating and then people being able to sort of gain exposure without even a direct interface potentially to anyone in the industry. Yeah. Right. The the Instagram Um, star is real. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like this person has this many followers and they've never had a video part or a photo in a magazine, but they got sponsors. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so there's like, I guess that, you know, there's, there's good and, and good and bad aspects to it. The sort of X Games, you know, major shoe brand inserting itself into the culture thing was something I didn't look on positively. Mm. I think it's been good economically for a lot of people. And to, I think that's a positive, right? I think it has a kind of generally bad influence on the culture because in my view, the cult, it's the organic growth 
right from the ground up that really characterizes why people become enamored with skateboarding, why you do it, and you know, your friendships and interfaces and all that kind of stuff. To the extent that it's been good for people, um, that's a good thing because you know, you put your you put you put all your energy into this and and you know, be, to be able to actually make a living off of it is positive. Yeah. I mean, I'd see like when my friends make a lot of money. But I I wonder, because you were kind of a contest guy in the early stages, would you think that if if at that time the Olympics said we're going to have skateboarding for the first time, would you have gone to the Olympics? You know, so I have a different that's so um, I would have. And, And that's because. I'm not sure that the same. Um, commercial stigma that's associated with it now would have been around at the time because it hadn't really developed. Right. Not not that I would have made my decision based on what other people were thinking, but mm. that is something something that was going through your head. There was an element of Mad Circle that was aspirational from an athletics standpoint as it relates to your ability as a professional athlete to achieve something along the lines of what I was seeing in basketball and baseball and football and all these kinds of things. And some of the kind of, you know, sports oriented stuff that came out of mad circle, like the apparel, the reason we did it all the, the kind of one-off stuff that we did that was really custom and high end for team, right. Mm -hmm. All that kind of stuff. It came out of this um, view of my team and myself. I didn't view myself any different from a from a from a professional athletic standpoint and there was a little bit of a chip on your shoulder about well you know we work as just as hard as everyone else and we should have kind of the same you know um uh, accoutrements of those things and scott was a big part of that too right like er, especially early on with that circle a lot of we stuff stuff we did was like so expensive we didn't make any money on it because we were buying like really high-end blanks and that kind of thing People might look at, say, something like Street League, and they might look at something like the Olympics, and they would call it mainstream. I would, I'd call it commercial. That's not my preference, right? For for how I interface with skateboarding and what I prefer in terms of what I watch and that kind of thing. And obviously, the skill level is incredibly high. Like yeah. there's no, there's no debating that. I think there's kind of a, an unfortunate sterility to the way that they assemble the course. Right. And then you see, you get this thing where guys are compelled to kind of just go back and forth. And so there's a missing element of that where like the complete opposite of that is like Oceanside, you know, or something. And like, there's a burnt out car, you know, and so people are forced to be creative with something that's like non-standard. Right. And these are two aspects of skating. There's another aspect of it where I just have like a military background in, in my family and a lot of, um, commitment on that level where I would have said to myself, uh, uh, having an opportunity to res- represent my country in this way would have been like pretty, would have been huge for me. But this is where, to a certain extent, you see there's a period like some of the baseball oriented graphic treatments came out of this for Mad Circle. Those that was mostly chaos stuff, but then there were some other kind of um, general treatments that we did that way. Mm-hmm. The, I started using the word skateboarding in the same way that like you'd see a warm-up jersey, you know, for like the Dallas Mavericks or something. Yeah. And it would say Dallas Mavericks bas- basketball. And I did a lot of uh team issue stuff that was oriented around that, where it'd say Mad Circle skateboarding and it had a 
a silhouette of me or Mike, right, of KO or something. And that's where faded caps and like dope, right? Like kind of almost a lot, some of it came from like warm-up gear or like, you know, game gear, you know, especially with basketball because there's a street orientation there. There's a street orientation with skateboarding. And then there's the, the aspirational aspect that's pretty similar with guys that like, you know, play basketball and, and make it big or whatever. Um, there's a similar cultural, you know, kind of component there. Yes. Yeah, so what year was it that Mad Circle started? 90, 90, we started developing it in like early 92. Like the first ad was, I think like October of 93. I think there was something pivotal that happened either right as or right before that. It was a movie called City Hunter. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is that, you got that from Zarosh. I want to say, no, maybe I was on No Deal. No, I can't remember. But but um, yeah, that was uh, me and uh, actually the whole FTC crew. Javante was there. Yeah. This is a motley crew right here. No, Jason Javante. Jesse told me that yes. he roomed with you, I think. Yeah. Well, so he and I knew each other from Woodward. So we, oh, we, ended up, we ended up, I'm sure I had seen him around prior to that, but we ended up rooming in Woodward and that's how we knew each other. And that's how that happened is that we went to Hong Kong for this film. And that was a crazy experience. How did, how did, yeah. What did, how did that all come about? Well, actually that came about because Andy and Rick and I, I, I did some of my traveling with Ed, but, and it was normally most of the time it was, it was either me and Ed and, or it was me, Andy and Rick. Okay. And so we did uh, an Asia tour and we did Hong Kong and we met this guy named Walter, uh, who, you know, back then, the distributorship in Hong Kong was facilitated by Walter, who was a kid who was interested in skateboarding, being affiliated with a guy who owned like a toy shop that had bikes and stuff like this in it, convinced him to start importing skateboards in Hong Kong. And we met him. And through the process of getting to know him on that tour, he reached out to us later and said, hey, do you think I'm going to start my own skate shop? Could you get me the New Deal distributorship rights? Okay. And so we facilitated that for him. And then we made two, two or more trips back as a function of that relationship developing. And one of them was this Golden Harvest um, uh, film relationship that he had with the guys who made the Bruce Lee films and made the, made the Jackie Chan films. And so they basically got us to go be evil skate hockey <laughs> adversary for, for, for Jackie Chan in this movie. Amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's where you get, you know, a mishmash of people like Javante Turner and Jason Jesse going to Hong Kong <laughs> to be, to be in a movie. And now, a first impression from our bro, Jason Lee Jesse. Okay, so the first time I met Justin Gerard, I met him in Hong Kong. I'm almost positive. I don't think I've met him before that. We were eating hot dogs in Hong Kong. And our friend Jackie, Jackie Chan, yeah. Ricky Bassetto was there, it was cool. I like him a lot. He gave me a chicken shirt. Steve Keenan was like, you wanna go to Hong Kong, Jackie Chan, be in a Jackie Chan movie? And I was like, okay. Flew over there. I think I flew alone, maybe? And then met Warren and Tabo. But whatever, I met Justin right then, and for a Jackie Chan movie. 
It was Rick Abiceta, Justin, Andy Hell, Javante Turner, and that other weird guy. Um, I don't even know his name. He was a trip, he was really angry. Everyone just kind of shrugged him off. Javante did 360 kickflips, really good. Um, but Justin was so nice, like bosom buddies. Do you remember that show? He was the, not Tom Hanks, but the other guy. Super smart glasses, so cool, so nice. Roomed with him. They were doing graphics, him and Andy. Then we became friends. We hung out and I went to San Francisco and I think he was dating Brooke, gone boarding, right? She's the best. And now he lives down next to Brooke and Brooke's married to Zeroche. I left early from that trip. Two weeks so I could only handle. I got homesick. And then my friend called me in the middle of the night and asked me if they had hot dogs in Hong Kong. And uh, I started crying. Hopefully Justin was asleep. He said he was asleep. But I think I woke him up. Just, <laughs> I wanted to come home so bad, it was so weird. But I lost weight, so that was good. Eating only rice, it was pretty gnarly. Like, I love it, I loved it, but I got real depressed. And then, because we broke his ankle. He went straight down this hill, bombed a hill first time, and then his, his handlers caught him and he twisted his ankle on one of those dudes. And I shot my board out of shin the first day. It was horrible. Horrible. 100 miles an hour bounced off his shin. And he went, ah! Oh! He like jumped. And I was just like, how could this happen? What? I am not very professional at all. And then I left. And those guys had to stay there a little longer and it was hell. That was a weird trip. I was 21 years old. Should I call Jackie Chan right now? I actually brought Jason down to EMB before that, though. I really? Brought, yeah, because we he built me a lowrider bike and, you know, um, like we became friends at, you know, after, uh, during Woodward and after he was pretty close by, uh, when we heard about this thing that was going to happen, we were filling slots and everything too. And I said, well, Hey, do you want to come? You know, <laughs> he, he is a pretty, I mean, how do you know, Jason? Yeah, very well. Okay. So, you know, he's quirky and he thought, you know, this will be fun. Like we'll go down to Embarcadero, you know, <laughs> and, oh, yeah. and we'll beat skate. And yeah, I mean, he was well received down there. But oh. you know, he's like always half in an anxious space and half in a standard kind of space and interfacing with people through jokes all the time. And that yeah, kind he of operates on humor, but he has this like anxiety driven feel like a little with almost yeah. like a little uh, hint like, of ADD. Yes, that's a good way <laughs> to describe it. Yeah, it's, that's a... That's a um, recipe to get a Jason. Jesse. So what, I, I mean, this is probably a whole other podcast, but like, what's one of the best parts of that? I mean, give him, give me a little bit about this movie situation. Well, where so I can tell you that like Javante, you, are you spending yeah, so any they, time with Jackie Chan? Like what? Yeah. Well, I mean, Rick was the stunt double. Oh. There was, there, there was, <laughs> I, I mean, no, that, that. that's just a fact. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they, yeah. Um, Shout out to Rick. Shout out. Uh, I remember when that whole thing happened. So we were there and they're like, well, who do we get that can actually skate? You know? And they were like, you, you know, <laughs> like you're, you're perfect. You know? So Golden Harvest is the film company that did the Bruce Lee films, at least in Hong Kong. They don't get permits for their locations. You they do it to... style. Oh, they do wow. it style. They go, well, I don't know if they do now, but they didn't then. Damn. So, And this is like what? 90, early 90, right? 92, 93, 90, yeah, yeah, okay. 92, 93. And so um, what they do is they have these, they have this rapid deployment kind of approach to things. Hi, 
I have no idea who these people are. It's rolled up to my property. I live in the middle of nowhere. So the rapid deployment configuration consists of crazy drivers, um, uh, like really good, like almost race quality drivers who have these um, souped up Mini Coopers. And and what they do is they – there was a bus at one point, but this is how they get you from location to location, and these guys drive like – Maniacs. Maniac. Rick can tell you a story about he and I being in the back of one of those cars without seatbelts and this guy driving on a Hong Kong freeway <laughs> like like a friggin' NASCAR, you know. Thought you were gonna and, die. Yes, I was and I was like, bro, like you gotta stop. And he was just laughing at me the whole time, this guy. Because he didn't speak English, right? And so I I was telling him, You gotta you, you gotta like, dude, I'm like this, I can't take this, you know, because I don't like I'm like one of those guys that now maybe not so much anymore, but uh, I, I, if if I'm going to take a risk like that, like I want to be in control of the risk, mm. you know. And so, um, there's that's the the way they get you from location to location. They have the people with all of the equipment that come in as a separate unit. They deploy everything. They get you to your spot. They tell you what to do. They film it, and then they bail. Yeah. <laughs> right. So this is how it's literally like guerrilla style. We're just going to go. And then they know the timing because, and then in some cases, so it'd be like four, like five, six in the morning, right? Like right when the sun's coming up, they go and do this. Um, and so there's, <laughs> there's that they had. So our role was as, like I said, sort of like, well, it was like Jack's used to do this kind of stuff, right? They do like a skate hockey kind of deal. Yeah. Didn't they do that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So so I think maybe that's where they got this from. Like they saw some photos online or something or guys with like cut off jean jackets. Yeah. Like, so here, here's the, the, you know, you're an evil skate hockey gang. Right. And so um, we're literally in the background of a lot of these shots um, uh, uh, playing skate hockey with cans you know, and they gave us, this is another one. Somebody's probably got one of these shirts, but they bootlegged Iron Maiden shirts of oh. Eddie. Yeah. In the tank. Right. You know, the, the, cause a lot of the Iron Maiden stuff was like World War II themed. Right. Yeah. Um, so Eddie in the tank, like sticking his, you know, he's out and he's got like the, you know, the helmet with the flaps hanging down and it's shooting and there's bullet holes, you know, in the shirt. And wow. it says, Shoot that Fokker. That's what it said <laughs> on the shirt. Shoot that Fokker. That's what it said. F-O-K-K-E-R. Um, and that's so we that's what we were all wearing is our like skate gang apparel, you know? And then uh I mean it got kind of brutal actually because they you don't really have time to orient yourself to their schedule. And then also you would spend like there's a scene where they had Rick do stunt doubles where he's wearing like the suspenders and the red shirt, I think is what it was. <laughs> and they see. had they put him on what do they call that? Uh the um uh the rig with the wire rig. Oh, like a harness? Yeah, but there's a there's another name for it, but they put him on a harness and he was doing like flips over this car, and that's in the film. Oh my yeah, god. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> And uh, we were out sitting there in a bus, like in like 110, 115 degree heat or something. Um, Holy shit. Roasting to death. Yeah. So they don't, that's the other thing because they do a gorilla style. It's not like 
being a part of SAG or something. You know what I mean? Like there's no rules. They just like go for it. There's no right or wrong. It's skateboarding. So was it a pretty rad experience? Like, were you stoked in the moment or were you oh, like, oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I was, you know, I was stoked in the moment. It and did you're seeing probably like higher end filming and stuff than you're used to. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, while the they were, I, production. Mean, I don't think it was digital. I mean, it would have, it would have been film at the time. Uh-huh. Um, and we were, you know, trending into that like right. kind of world as skateboarders at that yeah. period of time. Um, I can have a picture in my head of one, you know, where, where we were shooting, we we're supposed to bomb a hill, you know, or something. And, uh, they, they pulled all the stuff out and then we had to, we had to leave really quickly because this, the location was getting busted oh. essentially. So they, yeah. So they had to do something else. Wow. Um, crazy. Yeah. But it's, you know, we're, uh, Zarosh managed to, uh, find us. Like there's a scene where we're chasing Jackie Chan and that's, the, I guess, the last anecdote. There was like this, like parking garage style walkway that that went down like this, you know. Uh-huh. But um, it was rectangle, square instead of round. Okay. And he tried to skate for some reason. I'm not exactly. I guess he had this reputation to do his own stunts, right, and Jackie all that kind of stuff. So he he tried to skate and he ended up spraining his ankle because he jumped off and he like, wasn't, he got going too fast. We were chasing, oh. we were literally chasing him. Like <laughs> they needed a shot. They needed a shot of him, you know, right. on the skateboard. It wasn't going to be good enough to have Rick because it was a close-up shot. Close and it's up. Probably in the film. I haven't watched it recently, but, but he's going down and he, he this uh, ramp and he jumped off and just probably didn't have the timing. Right. And so he landed and, tweaked his ankle um, and then was out for a little while, but he was actually still, he had like an air cast that they would paint like his uh, clothes so that he could still do some oh of the stuff. But yeah. <laughs> so yeah, wow. that was, but Wally still has it's BFD. I think is the name of his shop, but he's the big, you know, he's the major distributor out there. And still has a shop and he's got an IG account and he does a lot of stuff oh. um, building the skate scene there. You know, he's half English. So that's another reason he could speak, you know, pro- like, well, I mean, in, you know, Hong Kong was in English, in English territory for a long period of time. So, yeah. Did that movie come out like in America, like a, a normal? No, no, you have to, or- but you can order it. It's all over eBay and stuff. You can. Uh, yeah. Okay. So yeah, you, you can- did you guys get paid? Like, was it like a good chunk? We got or? like a little bit. We got like a little bit of money. We uh, got like a little, everybody got a little bit of money for that. It was know? no Tony Hawk video game. No, no. The story goes that uh, Javante came back with a bunch of Momo gear oh. <laughs> <laughs> for his, for his Datsun 510, you know? How many did he have? How many what? Steering wheels? <laughs> no, Datsun 510. I remember oh, I every know. time I, I saw know. him, he was in a different one. Yeah, I mean, it depends on, you know, which chop shop you were looking at. <laughs> oh, fucking rad. <laughs> Those and bikes, right? Yeah. We got to, uh, mm-hmm. I know I've taken a lot of your time and I oh, appreciate yeah. it, uh, but we got it. Mad Circle is the the big hurrah. Like you're at um, Underworld Element. You're, you're kind of, are you working on it? Kind of like doing one yeah. foot each so, I, mean, at that, I, I honestly think it might've been at the same meeting The four, it was like four one, one. And they were just, we were all discussing, you know, me, Paul, Douglas, Friedberg, Andy, Rick, um, 
Gorm, all these people, and we were dis- discussing that. And then, you know, they Underworld Element was either in its production phase, right? You know, its development phase, or mm-hmm. it had already launched. And uh, those guys were like, "Hey, you know, it started the rumbling started happening of." Well, here's who we can, you know, split off right into into separate brands. And I think also at that point it might have been that Ed left. And I think part of you could ask Ed this, but I think it's, there's the potential that part of the reason he split off on his own was that they were more resistant to that initially. That they were more resistant to the to the pro splitting off to do his own brand initially. And so he and Mike got together and did their thing, mm. right? Um, but yeah, so it was Underworld, it was Element, Underworld Element. Um, uh, and then they just said to me, hey, you know, if you're going to do a brand, what would it look like? And I already had the the name uh, picked out and, uh, you know, a lot of the concepts and kind of graphic direction that I wanted to go with. I knew Gorm would be an excellent resource for me. You know, the the Sideways Madball, he, he did that one. Okay. Um, the one that always was accompanied with the streaks and everything. He did all the, all the black line, the thick black line stuff. And then I worked with a a lot of different artists, but he helped me develop the identity of the brand in the beginning. Um, And uh, you know, I, I figured for me, this was the next iteration and you know, my, my creative and professional and personal development. Um, It's what I wanted to do. Um, and I had a really solid idea of what the brand would look like. So, um, you know, they uh, helped. I put in some of my own money. Paul and Steve and Andy, who was an owner of Giant also, um, uh, they helped get some additional funds uh, together to launch it. And Gorham and I started working on it. And it was during that period of uh, time that, you know, I – obviously was telling Barry, we're going to launch this thing. And this, you know, the, the, some of the, the concepts, the identity oriented concepts, the, and, and, uh, uh, emotional oriented concepts that were a staple of my graphics and also mad circles approach to things, uh, started with Barry and I working together, uh, around those graphics and obviously Gorm and I, um, but Barry and I working on the new deal stuff. <clears throat> okay. So yeah. did the, like how long, like mad circle, the name you had already come up with that name. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there was some kind of, you know, um, subconscious aspect of hip hop that I was listening to. Uh-huh. Um, it was a band that had that name in it, but, to me, the con- number one, we already talked about this loyalty. I wanted to build a team that was like really tight knit and people that were really loyal to each other. And that that's one concept was we are kind of like the mad circle. Like we're fiercely loyal to each other and independent and we're going to develop our own thing. And that part of the reason mad circle was its own company and wasn't like, you know, element was just kind of part of giant in terms of its corporate structure. Yeah. Also, Mad Circle was very SF oriented, right? And it yeah. was other than I don't, I can't remember if Western Edition was around at that in '93 or not. I, I don't, don't think you know, so. But it was so. like kind of the only independent company for a while out that was outside of Deluxe and High Speed and all that kind yeah. of thing. Uh-huh. Um, and so 
I'm sorry, but w- there was a specific aspect to your question. Well, I'm just wondering, like, like trying to put all the pieces together, like when they come to you and they're like, hey, what would a oh. team look like? Right. You're like, yep, I already got thing. the name. I'm yeah. guessing that they knew that you were the type of guy that maybe had a little plan yeah. already. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought uh, the other and you're like, oh, this content. guy can draw the logo. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, yep. and, and I had and, already been working with Barry. So there was that relationship. I'd already right. been working with Gorm on developing some things. And so there was that relationship. And the other aspect of the idea around the brand was just the kind of direction things were heading like globally and, and just the world going mad, you know, mad right. circle. Okay. Um, and so, and then there were graphic treatments to that end and, and everything. And so, yeah, we did have, I did have the name ready. I had the basic, the, the kind of um, general, you know, artistic and creative direction ready. And, um, you know, once we got the go ahead, you know, it was me and Gorm. I actually went down to um, Costa Mesa and Gorm was living in Huntington Beach at the time and um, come from Sweden, right? He was over here from Sweden and he and I were just at Giant. I don't even know if was it giant at the time. It might not even, you know, it, it, I think it was actually, I think it had transitioned into giant, but you know, we were there working on it or we were in his apartment working on it, staying up late, you know, uh, watching random stimpy cartoons. And um, what were were like the team element? Like, did you have like, we need this guy or I want to get this guy. Like, were you thinking about that yet? Or are you like, yeah, yeah. We'd already kind of earmarked people. And, you know, most people don't, um, I knew I wanted Mike. Um, there were other people that we would have liked to get on early in that period of time. And by that, Mike, I mean, Mike Kale. Um, was but, he first? Um, it was probably actually Fissel who was first because huh. he and I were, you know, I got him on new deal because we were friends and I can't remember who he was writing for previous to that, Yeah, but you know, Fissel, Kale, and then most people don't know this, but I have the, the, you know, there were the portrait illustrations that Barry did of everyone. Some of those went on to the Let the Horns Blow video cover, but we used them in the very first ad. So it was me, Mike, and Fissel. But it was uh, Jordan Richter was supposed to be. Really? Um, yeah, he was supposed to be the Vert Pro. Like, okay. and he skated everything. He was, a you know, ATV. And yeah. a lot of these high eight tapes demonstrate that, that I've been looking through. But, he, you know, for my interface to him, like I thought of him as more of a vert skater in my, because that's what he was doing primarily right for the period of time that I knew. Um, and he, some stuff happened there, but there's the first um, for, I still have an illustration of him um, uh, in the, so that would have been the fourth one. Oh, wow. Yeah. That would have been the fourth one. And he would Damn. have completed from my view, the team. And that's why, I mean, look, this is a guy you know, that was on, that's a like highly skilled, really, you know, also like unique approach to his skating, uh, uh, altering vehicle slash, you know, vert pro, um, uh, that like to, in my mind was rounding out the, the skill set, you know, on the actual team of skateboarders. Chris's early stuff is really, is really amazing as well. Um, as everyone else's, but his, you know, he had the whole, oh, there's some pretty classic stuff. There's, you know what an ick this is? A what? It's the fish. <laughs> it's the Jesus Christ fish. Oh, so he, yeah. was, he was a born again Christian. 
And uh-huh. so and, um, he had this dual tone board with the with the ichthys. That's what it's called, which yeah. I think I'm pronouncing it correctly. It's like I X O Y E or thistle. something. Yeah, yeah. But it said it said thistle. He had a Noah's Ark, really, really detailed illustration. Oh, okay. uh, uh that Barry Barry drew both. He drew both. Um and uh he had wheels called holy rollers. <laughs> oh, he was okay. <laughs> yeah, and he had wheels at one point called Saints because that right. And we did uh, adopted the like you remember that old uh TV show, The Saint. The uh, the saint, we mm. adopted that. Well, there was a show called The Saint from I okay. think, it was, but it's a spy, and we adopted that graphic treatment for uh for the for the wheel and everything. So each each guy, there was a lot of thought put into everything with that circle. Most everything was like original concept that was illustrated right or graphically uh, developed. Kind of rare for most things were training graphic, you know, in that period of time. Um, but yeah, that's, a, those were the first four guys. And obviously it trended into a lot of different people. Um, uh, D- you know, Ed Devera, Moses Conan, Scott Johnston. I mean, and the AM team originally, you know, was, uh, <clears throat> Marcus McBride, Spencer Fujimoto. Oh yeah. Uh, Marcus Carl Bradley. was on there, right? What, Carl and Rob, Carl uh, and Rob Carl actually came later. So Carl was, a part, obviously a part of the crew, but Carl came in the mid nineties. Okay. Uh, yeah. Carl was on the team with Rob and Scott and, and, and Cairo, uh, right? Cairo and Julio. Yeah. And then oh, Cairo, and Bob. But, yeah. Yeah. And, and Cairo at the very end. So in the middle era, you know, Bobby, Carl, Scott, Rob, you know, and then at the very end, Cairo's first pro model was mad, was a mad circle. Was a mad I, circle. Board. I want to say Rob too, maybe. Did yeah, Rob's board come Rob's, out right as you guys went? Yeah. Because I always give him shit like, Rob, you killed Mad Circle. Because nothing killed it. I had developed this set of skills that I wanted to apply in different um, kind of disciplinary mediums. And being in SF was difficult with my partnership being in Costa Mesa. I didn't want to move down there. I want to stay in SF. Mad Circle had an SF identity. You know, uh, uh, most of it's uh, like you know, people came out of that culture and that scene. Mm. And, um, I was just kind of, it was more difficult for me to get production done and everything from there. You know, I didn't have the direct interface and, uh, the relationships started to erode and that kind of thing. But on top of that, I just, I didn't, skateboarding was getting, it was, you know, Mad Circle did really well its entire lifetime. Uh, people, you know, love the brand. And I think it's kind of a cult brand in skateboarding now because of the fact that I wrapped it up early in its mm-hmm. right. Not early, not early, but before, well before, right. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it could have extended its life, life cycle much further. It just managing those personalities, managing their expectations. That was weighing on me a lot. I was doing most of the work, it, it was getting more and more difficult because my partnership was, you know, in another part of California. Uh, the other aspect of that is just, I was seeing the way some of the kind of um, main, you know, commercial injections were going with skateboarding. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to go, I'm going to, I'm going to go do something else now because I'm going to take these skills that I've developed and um, uh, advance my personal career outside of 
this specific medium, take that creative and, you know, kind of practical energy and, and put in some different things. So that's the reason um, it, there were no, you know, they wanted me to move down there. And I just decided, you know, I'll go, I'll go off and do something else. Was um, it a hard decision or was it kind of like, yeah, it was, you know, and I, you know, also, I mean, there were some, there were some elements of that period of time where there were some people working against me, not my partners, but there were some people working against me in that, um, uh, in that conglomerate, you know, um, of giant and we were receiving priority and, um, it made it more difficult. Gorm, Jesse McMillan, obviously very, very early on, but Jesse McMillan at that point in time, and then mm. other artists, that's another thing that gets to be difficult when you're managing all these different people. And there's so there's a lot of logistical ins and ins and outs. So that was becoming difficult. Um, but so it was mo and then Blayback, you know? And so, uh, you know, Blayback was the photographer starting pretty early on. Right. Uh, 94, you know, uh, around that period of time. And so, um, it got just to kind of be too much for one guy. And even, you know, I mean, I think even now, um, there's kind of, you know, there's a much broader market, but there's still a relatively small group of companies and pros that rake, you know, in all the benefit from that. And I, I had always, you can ask everybody and this, this is a little tidbit, but when I started Mad Circle, um, uh, we went out of our way to give everyone health insurance. This is something, as far as I know, the only company that did it other than us was Powell. I think oh. that was the only company that did it. So we made them, they were independent contractors, but they also were employees and they had like a little small salary. That's huge. Yeah. That went along with their royalties and everything. And that's to illustrate that my approach to doing this was always to put my energy back in the company. And yeah. so I never really, I didn't, you know, I gained a lot of experience, a lot of relationships, a lot of friendships, a lot of, you know, skills out of the experience of Mad Circle, but I never paid myself a lot of money or anything like this. The money always went back into the team, back right. into the company, back into tours, back into videos, back into, you know, I made enough to to live and everything. But my folk, that, that was my philosophy was that if I put, you know, this back in, um, I'll benefit from it eventually anyway. And so... Um, I, you know, again, it's important to point out, like we didn't, there was nothing, people weren't like, you know, we, 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 we were successful economically throughout the whole, um, tenure, you know, of Mad Circle. It always did well, but there were other differences, including like creative and, you know, at the end we're, we, we were actually being pushed like cartoon stuff came back and, and was big with world industries and you right. know, some other companies. And so, I'm sure a lot of other companies were like pushing their their brands to go in that direction because you were getting this new kind of shift again into a new generation of kids and all that kind of thing. I didn't really like that. And so that was another thing I wanted to, you know, take my company in the direction I wanted to go wanted it to go. And so that was another aspect of it. But it was mutual and you know, we dissolved it. Me and Paul and Steve dissolved it because uh we were we were the ownership you know, we're, we're doing some stuff. We did, I did a, a, a reissue ex, uh, exclusively for Japan in 2019 with deer skating. And I'm doing some stuff with Pontus that'll, that'll be 
hopefully this year. Pontus never turned pro for Mad Circle, but it was his first sponsor and his only, you know, his his primary AM sponsor before he went kind of back focusing exclusively on Europe. Whatever you go to do next, I mean, watching Blayback's career, for example, like mm-hmm. what he's done with photography from, yeah. it's incredible. Like he's, mm-hmm. I mean, all that stuff he did with Danny Way and DC mm-hmm. and everything. He's such a great photographer. Um, and and just seeing Rob and getting into like the Lakai and getting mm-hmm. into the, you know, he'll take that Caballero yeah, back nose bump forever. Yeah, you know? uh, uh, yeah but- everyone is, is um you know, Carl has like really you know trended in the direction that he from from a sort of personality standpoint and from a professional standpoint that you know he injected into the creative process you know um at that period in time when he was riding for mad circle you know moses obviously is yeah a kind of you know the the kind of a primary cog in canadian skateboarding rob obviously has gone on to success in uh, you know, on his focuses, Blayback, yeah. you know, huge career in, right. in skating. And Twist, um, obviously. Uh-huh. And, Ka- you know, Cairo is still, uh, like, everybody has a, um, Scott went on and to be a shoe designer and yeah. um, you know, is, an Adid- is at Adidas now. And he used to come around too and, and, and really kind of soak up as much as he could, right, while I'm sitting in front of the computer doing the stuff and ask questions and you know, right. all these guys were going to take their opportunities wherever they came. Right. Um, but mad circle was a, obviously a big formative piece for, for yeah. all of these people. <clears throat> so do you, when these people are evolving, their careers are blossoming. Are you feeling a sense of pride? Are you feeling oh, sadness? Yeah, yeah. Like, what do you, what are feelings? Oh, oh, of course. Like, yeah. I mean, post, like, I don't, you know, like, again, like you said, you don't, what, what was the phrase you no used? regrets. Oh no! Is the other one that you don't you don't take ownership of somebody else's. Oh sickness. oh no! That's uh, I I never you never say that you made someone. Oh yeah, you know it because you don't. And I mean, um, like there's an element of development for each person that has a um a a big component in what Mad Circle was and what it did. But it it's sort of like with you know nobody in particular like made me as like a software architect. You know, when I got into software, I was in a, 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 I was working at a company where there were a group of like Stanford, you know, computer science grad people. And because I had a creative background, but took an interest in what they were doing, they were just feeding me, you know, information. And I, you know, the same kind of dynamic played out with Mad Circle. It feels good to, you know, have been able to play a role in sure. their future and further development. And to a certain extent, as it related to skateboarding, that was like Paul Schmidt, you know, for me. <laughs> and Gorm from, you know, some other technical aspects. And Andy, too, you know, because art is just a part of the culture you know, and when you're surrounded by these guys who are just immensely creative all the time, it just bleeds off on you. And, you know, that's kind of a carry forward with Mad Circle for a lot of these guys, right. I think. And they look back on it. You know, I mean, we did the they all look back on it as universally positive. Um, 
even though some of them I'm sure were surprised when they heard what was going on, you know, in 19, it was pretty much 1999 actually when, when that all happened. Okay. Um, but you know, and Bobby, Bobby is out doing, you know, his curation, right. You know, he's like bringing the, um, uh, the history of skateboarding and it's very unique cultural accoutrements and quirks into, um, this kind of you know his it's, a, it's a similar what he does with his skating right yes. you know he's kind of he kind of curated spots as a skateboarder and he curates the history as a kind of aficionado you know and a, a knowledgeable and really super interested person yeah. um we actually did we he was out here recently and we we uh uh i was actually I, behind the camera for his oceanside uh um project that he released into youtube and everything so wow. we, when we were down there at Paul's, he and I were down there at his workshop and visiting people for this project we're working on. We did some extra stuff like that, filming uh, spots and him doing his, you know, uh, history uh, curation stuff. Yeah, I want to try to get with Bobby. It'd be amazing. I love how he, he his mind is amazing. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's going to be like, <laughs> what are we at now? We're at three. You're going to be <laughs> Ten hours. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna be like ten hours. We're gonna have several different sessions with Bobby, um, and that's only one aspect because heaven forbid, you know, you get into the numerology or anything like that. That's then, what. Then, yeah, yeah. <laughs> then you're really gonna go down the rabbit hole. Man, that's crazy. So, those number yeah. of things. I'm like, wow. Yeah. Real quick, you got into um, software programming. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, initially I thought I was going to get, I figured I would get into advertising because I had done all of that for Mad Circle, right? So I, that was one, another aspect of what I had done. I had really kind of developed my personal kind of approach and, um, you know, to copy and to branding and everything through Mad Circle. And I thought I'd do that, but I ended up at a, um, at a company in Redwood City called uh, the at home network, which had purchased excite, which was a search engine and, um, kind of, you know, that's um, where I was born. Relativity. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I, uh, uh, and, and a portal, an internet portal, as they referred to it, you know, oh. at the time. And I ended up, um, doing creative, and, uh, uh, um, development and animation for, what was uh, this product never ended up being released, but it was an early kind of um, commercial experience on us that was that was uh, flashed to memory on a set top box. So set top box is like your cable box, mm -hmm. right? And so we were developing commercial, you know, purchasing interfaces, food delivery, advertising, movie reviews, trailers through this kind of portal experience. Um, and through that, I was, like I said, I was exposed to software development after about six months or seven months at that place, I ended up on the engineering side doing software development. And from there, I actually bounced back and forth, moved to New York city for about eight years. That's where my Italian family are from. The name is actually Girardi. Okay. Ended up working for a bunch of agencies doing kind of mix of creative and software development from there got into digital video i worked at thompson reuters and you know that company uh -uh. Uh, thompson reuters is kind of a global um information uh curation and acquisition company to a certain extent and they also do news and they do finance and so 
I got a job uh, with that place right in Times Square. And that was in finance. That was that was developing a trading platform. Damn. So this, yeah. is, all with, this is all without education, really. Yeah, right? but I got, you know, I mean, it's sort of very similar to what, you know, me kind of being the head, the lead sort of, you know, technical uh, and creative person for Mad Circle by really just being incredibly interested in all this stuff. Right. And it was the same thing. And that's why I said the, the Redwood city experience was a big one because those guys that I refer to the, those computer science guys, they, because I was bridging that gap, you know, between creative and development and engineering, they just, they, they, they just like, Took they every opportunity they could. Yeah, they took every opportunity they could to teach me. And obviously I would ask questions because I needed to, because it was part of my job at that point. From there, I I still I got a I, I started working at this uh place called Akamai Technologies, which is a um uh, the world's largest CDN, about 30, you know, five percent of internet traffic goes across their distributed network of servers. I and I developed a product there called the Akamai Media Player over the course of 10 years and um, that, you know, won some awards and stuff like that. And then um, oh, cool. still making them a lot of money, you know, and then, and then uh, um, uh, moved from there into just developing my own stuff because I didn't want to go into management. I like doing things, yeah. you know, I like building things, I like creating things. I don't, I don't, I did the management thing with the skateboard team of skateboarders and I, you know, I, I can lead a, a, an engineering project, but I still want to be able to get my hands dirty and build things. You know, it's just kind of how I operate. <clears throat> well, that was my next question is kind of like going from running your own thing to working for someone else. That would be hard to like have to take, like, I'm going to do it this way. And the guy's like, no, you're not. I'm the boss. Well, you're doing it, it this way. The thing is, it probably, it works that way more in software now, in tech. Uh-huh. It works that way more now. But you got to remember, this was starting in 1998, 99. So, so everyone was kind of just like learning it, on it the fly. It was more, well, it was, it was more informal. And it was more focused exclusively on, you know, creating new, concepts and, and, and trying to focus on innovation Mm. and there was autonomy. So you even had, so you had autonomy, then you would have less autonomy now in, in tech, there's actually a need to allow people to have autonomy when you're focusing on innovation and you're focusing on, you know, creating new products. Sorry. That's my uh, six month old. I don't know. Or sorry. My, my six week old is, Yeah. You have kids? <laughs> no, we just oh. got married a year ago. Is it a boy okay. or a girl? It's a boy. I have two boys. I have a five five year old and a and a six week old. Okay. So yeah, so I don't know if you could hear that. Well, that's anyway. the alarm, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the alarm. So uh long story short, the fact that there was more autonomy made it an easier transition. Okay. But I did have a couple jobs in that period of time that allowed me to make it a little more smoothly. And in addition, Tech, I mean, you know, it's 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 still like somewhat freeform, but back then, you de- there was a lot of room. Uh, are you a big coffee guy then? Oh yeah, yeah. There's no uh, 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 comparison or no uh, parallel between just focus. <laughs> you know, like you can't you can't replace focus with coffee. But yeah, I 
that's what I've been drinking this whole time. And yeah, down here it's uh, Acme in Seaside. Oh, okay. That's the coffee roaster down here. Yeah. Somebody says something about coffee. I got this thing here. Oh wow, you got the now nice. You got the black and white one. Yeah, I have the original art. Really? Yeah, I have mo- like Barry took some. He, sometimes uh, when he would take something back, it'd generally be if he had hand colored it himself. You know, so I don't have the Rumblefish one, which is the two guys with the with one has a has a baseball bat with a nail in it. It's like a fight. Oh, okay. You know, which is actually um, inspired by an experience that me and Tobin Yellen had on third and Palou. Ooh, Pancho Muller got a uh, pocket checked right there. Okay. Yeah. We'll have to <laughs> about it sometime. There's no, we don't have the time to go over it, but yeah. Okay. Um, that was, that was a formative experience because I just moved to SF. Uh, that graphic is kind of, you know, mine inspired by my environment, you know, on Grove and Divisadero and like essentially at the top of Hayes Valley, you know, Okay. or what are you going to do with that? Actually, so my wife's brother, he had this board. Oh, okay. and and I was like, I sent a photo to Rob Welsh, and I was like, "Hey, is this Justin's board?" And he's like, "Yeah, I think so." Let oh, me. Oh, you know, and, he did tell me. And about- he hit you up, and then I thought you you might need it. I'd be happy to take it because you know what? Yeah, I have most of my stuff. However, in one case, I I lent. I had two. I lent one to the Beautiful Loser show, and I never got it back. And then uh, one was stolen in a move uh, between okay. Portland and Camas, Washington. Yeah, I'd be stoked to have it, man. I need if anyone's out there that has one that's like mint, you know, let me know because I need that. I need to get it for my kids, you know. Well, no, this is for you, and it's a oh, okay. shout, shout out to Matt Camisa. That's my wife's brother. Yes. Shout out who skate had a skateboard his whole like this was his. It's sitting in there. Yeah, and he took the trucks and wheels yeah. off, and he he gave it to her cool. to give to me. Um, I'm gonna use it as a ticket to get okay. a few Smith grinds on your mini ramp. Oh, for sure, anytime. Yeah, you can come anytime. You can come with with uh, you know, like. On your way down, you can pick up Ray Stevens and Meeks Geeks, Geeks in Soquel. Oh yeah, go to, go to go to Buena Vista, have a have a session there because I oh. the the Meeks Geeks guys live next to next to Buena Vista, and then uh, do they are they the ones with the vert ramp? I'm not sure. I'm actually not sure about that. Okay, pick up Zeroche. And and take that motley crew of characters over to the mini ramp, and we'll as have as soon as the weather <laughs> permits, it'll happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. We always end the podcast with a song. Okay. Um, so if you want to look at your playlist, or if you have something in mind that maybe you want to drop as like a song for the finale, and while you're thinking okay. of that, I, okay. I got one last question for you. Okay. Okay. Who had the best tail to tail of all time? Oh my goodness. I don't know because I feel like most that was not very common. I think <laughs> this would be Vert. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> Ross Goodman okay. or something like I feel like AP had one, maybe, right? Alan Who Peterson. Did? Alan Peterson. Oh, yeah, you're probably right about that. But yeah. good, Ross Goodman is but you did them yeah. everywhere. Yeah. It's gonna be somebody who could shake the deck. I don't know. Did Schroeder do him? Because he, Ooh. you know, Goodman, Ross, he also had the best body jar in, I think, pretty much in the business. Oh, that was- always, yeah, they were always like, you know, five feet and then wham, and the whole, you know, the whole thing with like shake yeah. a little bit. 
he doesn't get the credit. Ross, you know, he was absolutely one of my favorites and, and a teammate. On my playlist, that's this. It's a hard one. There's so much to choose from, but I, it's got to be something formative from my like period growing up. And I don't know. Out of my neck of the woods, I'd have to be, say maybe something as deep as surf punks. Surf punks, you know, formative era, main source, <laughs> mad circle era. My beach or live at the barbecue. How about that? Live at the barbecue would be a good one. And that's that live at the barbecue is straight out of let the horns blow the am mix song. Okay. Yeah. Well, dude, thank you so fucking much. This has been a pleasure, man, for real. Yeah, me too. I love doing all of them, but this one. Thanks. (laughs) I'm hyped. It's super cool cool to hear all your stories and for you to share that with me and everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for having me, dude. Did you see the China banks video I made? I did see that one. Yeah, I did okay. see that one. Was that Julian that filmed you? Oh, that was uh, Schubert. Schubert filmed that? Yeah. Okay, because it sounds like Julian. I thought I, everyone was asking me that. Yeah, it was Schubert. Oh, wow. Rest in peace. Well, wait. No, sorry. I just misspoke. It was Jake Rosenberg. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it was Jake Rosenberg. Just giving myself the caveat. I, I'm... I'm Almost 100% sure it was Jake, but it could have been Schubert. But yeah, like I didn't get to the two tail there. So I guess I need to, um, I need to, I need to make a goal. I need to make getting a, you know, uh, seeing everything that's being done on those banks now. um, That'll be a goal to get the stale to tail instead of just. All right. I'll be waiting. All right. I'll send the footage to you. Well, uh, take care. And tonight. Tonight, game one. Oh. Hashtag Lakers suck. That's that's our hashtag. (laughs) Right on. (laughs) Well, take care of yourself. Good to talk. Yeah, you too. Okay. Yep, absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, later. All right, have a good one. For my brain just like a rifle Stampede the stage I leave the microphone split Play Mr. Tuffy While I'm on some pretty tone shit Verbal assassin My architect pleases When I was 12 I went to hell for snuffing Jesus Nasty Nas is a rebel to America Police murderer I'm causing hysteria My troops roll up with a strange force I was trapped in a cage And lit out by the main source Swimming in women like a lifeguard Put on a bulletproof nigga I strike hard Kidnap the president's wife Without a plan And hanging niggas like the Ku Klux Klan I melt mics till the sound waves over Before stepping to me I'd rather step to Jehovah Slamming MCs on cement Cause verbally I'm iller than an AIDS patient I move swift and uplift your mind Shoot the gift when I rip and rhyme Rapping sniper, speaking real words My thoughts react like Steven Spielberg's Poetry attacks, paragraphs punch hard My brain is insane, I'm out to lunch guard Science is dropped, my raps are toxic My voice box locks and excels like a rocket Fatal is merciful and vacant 
curse me when I grip the mic, I show no mercy, I got heart, I rip the party apart from the scenes and hammer them up like bell bottom jeans, but you get done, you get blues like 501 brothers alive, but I bet you I'm live, son, so let me get upon the scene and redeem the dream of a team, and knock them out like Mitch Green, smoke some top weak flow at a high speed, rap on off race, start my like North Flakes, cause I'm living larger than the founders of 50, and Asiatic brothers that many rappers envy, so round up your crew and entourage, and let the guard merciful just take charge. When it comes to a showdown, puff and bust, but the ox won't get blown down. Cause I come strong, laugh and come at all and not be ready. That's what separates me from the petty. And please gas themselves by drinking too much getty and get torn the fuck up like confetti. I'm rich and thick and Larissa and Jemima. It doesn't take keen and Ivy Wayne to know that armor. Get your sucker if you bite like a piranha. So say them free school rhymes for the kids of one Rama. Point blank, period, with no comma. Rhyme so dangerous, call for the homicide. Cause I'm not competitive even when I'm at my worst. The only future that lies ahead of them is the lights from the hearse. Got game like a crackhead, but don't be misled. I keep rappers on lock like a dread. Knocks in the head from the words that I've said. Should get a shovel and dig your grave, cause the shit you're talking hey, yo, is dead. And I'm over like hot tracks As far as brothers are concerned I pressure cooker from start To finish I diminish like a Cuisinart Secondly, I'm sick of critics Who's necking me? Ooh, you got an Yo, but I got dough Why's my name the large professor? Cause I milked your cow In other words, I hit your heifer Don't talk about how you could break Rambo That's just a bunch of man but your hambo Propaganda, save it for Savannah, Joe and Amanda, Zach and Alexandra Don't let the folks around your way puff your head Cause you'll be the owner of a hospital bed I'll kick fire out your ass so fast You'll be as crispy as my man Bill Black Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Schmidt. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. When you subscribe, you'll get notifications every Tuesday of new episodes the minute they become available. Also, please leave reviews and a five-star rating. It's the best way to help the show grow. All of the episodes will always remain free, but if you would like to help support the show, you can do so at TalkingSchmidt.com where you can pick up some merchandise like t-shirts, beanies, hats, and stickers. The website has an entire archive of all of the episodes with extra photos and videos. Email us with any suggestions, comments, or ways that the show may have improved your life at talkingschmidt at gmail.com. All interviews are conducted, edited, and produced by Schmitty. The intro music is Mary's Cross by the band Nature. A very special shout-out goes to the executive director, Cheryl Camisa. Shout out. Love it!
This is Talking Schmidt, where the Rolodex is deep, but the conversation is deeper. Keep the wheels greased.